have I got a story for you. Running towards things that go bump in the night in the name of science and exploration while at the cozy confines of places such as mental institutions, abandoned prisons, and yes, cemeteries. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. AndrePsyche.com is, say it with me, that cute, quaint corner store boutique with all sorts of neat and original merch you had no idea existed. Most people, if you're being honest with yourself, are looking for something new, particularly when they're on the internet. Well, my friends, FOMO, no mo. Does that, I felt like it just came to me. I thought that was kind of clever, but I'm, sometimes I'm unsure of myself. I have doubts. <laughs> well, my friends, FOMO, no mo. I just, I, I really get a kick out of that. Maybe it's all the coffee. With the help of the Wi-Fi password, that is password, you are able to go to andrepsyche.com and see all sorts of things you've never seen before. We're talking about literature, clothing, paintings, prints, accessories, music, poetry, or any custom gift your soul desires. Because after all, Andre is a freelance creator extraordinaire. So go to andrepsyche.com. Just let your spirit guide you. Because each and every item will have a story behind it that will speak to your spirit. Nothing is made. Everything is created on andrepsyche.com. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. Please continue to support this podcast by taking a moment right now and pushing the subscribe button, whether you're listening on Apple or Spotify. And if you are on Apple, can we get some stars, maybe even a little typed review? It can be shorter than a tweet. Also, if you haven't already, speaking of tweets, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Finally, we are looking for sponsors, so if you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market globally, please consider partnering with us. The Getting to Know You pod has been downloaded all around the world, 24 different countries and 38 states in America. So if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever. Just message us. Our rates are extremely reasonable, and we would love to partner with you. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. On today's show, we are getting to know Chris. Chris, who in the first 10 seconds of meeting her, I found a way to insult her. Thank you for not hanging up and for uh, coming on the pod, Chris. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Sean. Thank you for having me this morning. Yes. And um, when I found out, um, well, I came across, I guess probably was Facebook, like the profile. And um, what's the actual, like, do you have a title or do you just have a job description? What do you, what are uh, you, Chris? <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> well, I am actually the founder of Soul Sisters Paranormal. Um, my actual title, I guess, is is Dr. Christy Sumner. Um, and uh, I founded Soul Sisters Paranormal in uh, 2014 with my sisters and two family friends. Oh, shit. Yes. So Soul Sisters Paranormal had me absolutely being like, what is the earliest after sunrise we can speak in case <laughs> I get freaked out? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that, uh, you know, I, I'll try to keep it tame for you. So, um, but no, we have some really great stories from across the country. We've gone all, all over the country, um, just really seeking out historical locations that we can investigate and really tell those stories and get behind the history of the location and then try to validate the paranormal claims that have um, evolved from those locations. How are you just not scared to death you're going to get possessed? Well, for us, it, it really is um, a sense of exploration. Uh, you know, when you're in the moment and you, you it, I mean, it may be dark and you, you can't really see much and, and your, your senses are heightened. But when you're in the moment, it really is um, for us, an exciting feeling, kind of like an adrenaline rush. Right, um, right. you know, we're, we're kind of the crew that will actually run towards the noise rather than run from it <laughs> because we really are trying to figure out what's causing it. Um, you know, if, if it is environmental factors that we can explain such as wind or something mm. like that. Um, and then absent any of that, you know, we have found some very compelling evidence that we call unexplainable in these locations that we visited. So for us, it's, it's not so much a, I mean, don't get me wrong. We do get startled, but, uh, <laughs> towards it i'm sorry no no I, I'm, I'm sorry i just like how you were like startled i went with like how are you not going to be possessed and you're like <laughs> yeah you know sometimes i get startled i'm like yeah you know what? i've been startled by kittens many a time <laughs> i just wouldn't put the word with it it's not a tone setting word for me for what i think about it but go ahead <laughs> No, but for us, it really is, like I said, that sense of exploration and, and being in these historic places because, you know, not many people can say they've stayed the night in the St. Augustine Lighthouse or a Revolutionary War Fort or prison or the Velisca Axe Murder House, but we can say we've done that. And, you know, to be able to do that with my sisters on a team, uh, it to me, it's very rewarding. That – so actually, there's a couple of things. Number one, I don't – and I don't know if you suffer from this, but I suffer from – being worried that I mansplain and I over insult people by explaining. I don't want you to feel that way because all those uh, locations you mentioned, I know nothing about. So okay. when you feel like you got to um, give some background, absolutely feel free. Sure. Um, absolutely. Number two, when you had said doctor, so you're, is that like a super scientific degree that you're a doctor in? It is. Um, so I have my PhD in public affairs with an emphasis on criminal justice. My oh, twin wow. sister also has her PhD. Um, uh, oh, two God. members of the team have a JD and then one has a master's degree. So that's one of the things that we kind of feel sets us apart in the paranormal community, that we do have advanced degrees and all of us really go into this with a sense of historic or uh, uh, scientific research. And, and, and that's really what we pride ourselves on because we, we actually go in with a healthy skepticism, if you will, and and we do try to find any environmental factors that could be causing these reported hauntings. You know, we look for things that, you know, um, that that could be the sound, that could be the light source, that could be, you know, causing things to, to shift or move or creak. Um, and then, like I said, when we when we control for those or we know that they exist and we find and, and we find that they're not causing the 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 paranormal, um, you know, we do go in and say, we cannot explain what's going on here. Uh, so to answer your question, yes, we, we all hold advanced degrees. Wow. 
So you pivot from criminal justice to paranormal activities. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, you know, it, it, it did kind of start. Our first investigation was at the West Virginia State Penitentiary, which is in Moundsville, West Virginia. And this is a huge location. It's a very Gothic style location. Um, it was in uh, in operation from from the early from the late 1800s um, all the way up until 1995. And the interesting thing about that was is our grandpa was actually a prison guard there. Oh, wow. So we had a family friend that sat on the board of that that prison. Um, and in 2014, he said, why don't y'all come up and, and do an investigation, stay the night, see what you think. And, uh, you know, maybe kind of uh, put that, that exploration, uh, sense to use, which we did. And we had a very rudimentary investigation. We had a couple of night vision video cameras, a couple of voice recorders, but we walked away with, from that investigation, uh, feeling that we caught some very compelling evidence that we couldn't explain. And, uh, so we, we were able to really, um, decide as a team that we wanted to continue and pursue this. So yes, we put our criminal justice background to work. Um, and, and that's really what I think propels us a little bit forward in the paranormal community. Gotcha. So what'd you find? And it's the West Virginia state penitentiary, state penitentiary. and that's in Moundsville, West Virginia. Okay. And so the legit first one that you were doing, mm-hmm. The legit first one. So like I said, this, this structure is massive. When you look at it, you see a very Gothic looking structure, um, almost like a, the, the, the front entrance almost looks like a castle turret and it's, it's, it's large. Um, it's cold, it's dark inside and (laughs) it's uh, everything that you want to spend the night at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we go in, in in the evening, they lock us in and we're the only people in the, in the prison, the only people on the property. And, uh, the first thing that was very interesting that we captured that to us was unexplainable is there's the, the, the main section of the building is two stories. And that second story was the infirmary. So you've got this long hallway and on each side of the hallway are these old, um, examination rooms. So the exam tables are still there. You know, the doctor's chairs are still there. There's desk those old like 1960s desks are there it's it's dank and dark and um and and you know the windows are busted out but so it, it the 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 upstairs, that infirmary is only accessed on on either end by these two large industrial concrete and steel staircases. Mm. So we sat in the middle of the infirmary. We're just sitting there. And so we started asking questions like, you know, is it time to take your medicine? Do you need meds? Come on up if you need meds. Wait, and- stop, stop, stop. You okay. guys are literally sitting on the floor at night in this mm-hmm. and just like yeah. thinking of prompts to get it's, paranormal activity to say. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got to be able to put yourself out there a little Holy bit if you want uh, some ghosts to come calling to now, you. <laughs> are you thinking of these on the spot or do you have like a list that y'all like, um, um, like, like researched and you found, Oh, you know, this person was there. So, Hey, Ron, come on up and get your Percocets kind of a thing. <laughs> like you found specific inmates or I, I'm interested in the prep, I guess. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. For this very first one, we had done um, some very uh, preliminary research on that. So we did have the names of several inmates. Uh, We had the opportunity to go back a second time. And that's where we really delved into the research of specific uh, specific inmates. Uh, But this investigation really kind of set the framework for what we wanted to do overall in our investigations. So from this point on, we actually do research the in the location extensively so we do come up with individual names
names. Um, you know, every location that we go to, we, we know the history behind it. We know the date that it was in operation. Um, we know specific people um, and, and instances that we can reference in these questions. So right. we call these we call these trigger questions, and essentially they are designed to try to elicit a response um, from any entity or spirit that may be present. So that's a great question, yeah. and that's exactly what we do in our research. That makes sense because, I mean, I, I wouldn't have – thought of that but that it's like almost like you're sitting bait i trigger is actually a way better word because you <laughs> used it and you're the professional um <laughs> but yeah like just to stir it up if you're sitting there with the meds like god so are ghosts dumb no that's a dumb question because it's like do they really feel like all of a sudden you're like gonna have their cup of pills well no i don't i don't think that they're dumb um i do <laughs> think that there's there's two types of hauntings there is what we call residual hauntings and those are basically what i would call a blip in time, um, or essentially think of it as a record on a record player. Uh -huh. If you're young enough, or old enough to know what a record player is. And so the, the yeah. record is spinning and there's a, a, just a little glitch in the record. So it'll blip every time you listen to that song. So that's what I feel a residual haunting is. It's just a blip in time and it will keep reoccurring the same way. Okay. And I'll get to an example of that in a minute. Um, another type of haunting is what we call an intelligent haunting. And this is where you ask a question or you, ask uh, or you put a trigger item um, in the room and an entity responds to that in an intelligent manner. Um, and, and I'll give you an example of that in a second as well. But for, for those two, that we, we, we go in with the mindset that we can encounter either one of those type of hauntings. Um, so to answer your question, no, I don't think uh, spirits are dumb. To me, spirits are entities that want attention they want their story told ah. and so that's how that's how we go into our investigations if you watch any of our videos the, the common theme throughout is we always ask what is your story can we tell your story because we legitimately want to know um you know for me if the, the human experience is we want to be recognized we want to be acknowledged nobody wants to go through life alone mm. and i think that's the same way with the spirits that we encounter and the entities that we encounter is they want their story told and and so that's why we go in and, um, and we really try to approach any spirits in the location on a very one-to-one -one or personal level because we do want that story told. That um, and, and that's how we approach all of our investigations. So apparently I'm a little bit of a ghostist where I think they're <laughs> below intelligent creatures or beings or spirits. I'll apologize to any listeners who may be spirits. Um, <laughs> I love, this is a great line of questioning. This is, this is, uh, I'm, I'm loving this interview so far. Um, but, uh, to return to West of, to the West Virginia story, we are sitting in this infirmary again. It's a God, second story. And, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I just can't get over going to that, a prison sitting on that floor and just asking spirits to come to you, trying to trigger <laughs> them like that. It, it's gutsy, man. I'm sorry. I'll, I won't cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I, I appreciate uh, the accolade there. Um, so we're, like I said, we're sitting in this infirmary and we said, it's time to take your medicine, come on up. And again, we're the only people on this property and we hear footsteps coming up that stairwell. So again, this is a concrete and iron and steel stairwell. Uh -huh. And so we're, we're, you're expecting 
they were so loud that we were expecting something to come out of the darkness at us. And we all heard it. We captured it on our voice recorders and our night vision video cameras. Um, so that was very, that was what really started the night for us. Um, when we heard these footsteps and, and at the bottom of the stairwell is a big steel door that led off into the, um, the cell blocks. And also during the night, that door would open and close several times on its own. And we're talking, like I said, a very big, heavy, steel door so we caught that on voice recorder several times um we were down in what's uh what was the boiler room at the time um it's it's now called the hole and um it was an area where prisoners would they would sneak down um and they would actually rough up other inmates and in some cases kill other inmates who they felt were snitches so we were down in that boiler room and there was an instance where uh, my younger sister, Michelle, she has longer hair and her hair was pulled and touched. And you can actually see it on camera being raised up, no. which, is, which is very interesting to us. Um, Come on. So, how, how'd you set that up? You did it. How'd you, you know, set it up? Wires? We, we, <laughs> yeah, no, we, uh, we, we did not set that up. It was very, like I said, very interesting. And, and all of the experiences that we had that night just really led us to believe that there is something going on and, and that we wanted to delve into it further. So that was our very first investigation. And from there, like I said, we formalized the team, we came up with the name, we trademarked our logo and all of that. And we really wanted to enter the paranormal community, if you will, with that sense of professionalism, um, because I feel that mainstream, if you will, really looks at the paranormal community as a subculture. And so for us, if we can bring some professionalism to the mainstream and say, you know, we're not kooks, we're not um, crazies, we, we have advanced degrees, we go into this with a scientific background, if we can bring that to the forefront, that's really what we want to highlight. So for us, it was very important after that first investigation to really formalize and, and get a professional look and feel. And and uh, that way we, we thought we could add some legitimacy to what we're doing. Right. And but, <laughs> it, as soon as you mentioned your sister and what, what is, what is your sister's name? The younger Michelle. one? Mm -hmm. Michelle. Michelle. Mm -hmm. What is her reaction to getting her hair pulled? Um, it was, uh, it, it was, a, it was an old shit moment. Um, it's like is my, my, something is, is tugging my hair and, uh, you know, again, it, it's, there's never been an instance in any of our investigations where we run out. Um, you know, we do set boundaries when we go in, we, we make it known that, um, we are here to tell a story and to tell the entity story. They, and that they cannot hurt us. We do say a prayer of protection when we go in and, and come out. Um, but we, when we really set those boundaries, uh, we feel that that has protected us to some extent when we go into these locations, we've never been hurt. Um, we've never, you know, been scratched or, or faced anything that we felt was demonic in any way uh, for us because we set those boundaries and, and we just say, you know, if, if we ask you to touch us, like pull our pant leg or pull our hair or something, you're able to do that, but otherwise you're not allowed to hurt us or touch us. So in that instance, you know, Michelle, again, we were all kind of like startled, but it was something that we kind of expected uh, when we went in there because that was one of the claims that, that mm. people get touched, that, that pant legs get pulled and stuff like that. Dude, that I, I, I'm so at the, again, the exorcist with the fake belief. No, no, no. And, and, and I don't want to keep delegitimizing, but really all, all I can do is like reference like movies, right? That I've seen because I've never experienced this. Mm -hmm. When you say set boundaries, I immediately go to every single horror movie where they feel that it, maybe like a sense of, is it hubris? 
where you can control this situation. I had no idea that that's like a legit thing that you can go in there and like dictate terms. Well, for us, we do, um, you wow. know, and, and it's not like, and for me, when you look at things like mainstream media television shows, like ghost hunter, or ghost adventurers, they're, there seems to be a sense of bravado that they right. go in with and they try to provoke and they try to to get that reaction because they have to sensationalize it. You know, it's yeah. television. They need that to keep that audience. For us, we are not trying to sensationalize this. This is not what we do. And so when we go into these locations, we go into it with what I would classify as the right intentions. And that is we, we say we are here not to hurt you, not to manipulate you in any way. It, it's legitimately to tell your story. And I think because we go in with that, and to be honest, with you, the, the fact that we are an all-female team, I think it lends to a little bit um, more empathy, if you will, when we go into these locations, and oh. I don't think that spirits feel as threatened. Now, I will say that there's been instances like at Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, which is a jail, or a large penitentiary complex in Tennessee, there is a, a, a dark energy in one of the rooms, and we've been to Brushy several times, and we essentially just decided that that's that entity's room. We're not going to go into it. We've put a voice recorder in it, but we're not going to go in there. That's its space. And we're not going to really deal with it, if you will. Um, So we, not only do we set boundaries for them, we set boundaries for ourselves. Um, You know, we're not going to go in and and, and be stupid about this because we don't want to get hurt, but we do want to explore the location. So we feel if we set boundaries for them and, and just acknowledge that, that, this is their space that we're coming into. We feel like that's protecting us a little bit. Wow. Do you actually, um, so I know you're going in there and you're asking to hear their story. Do you ask like, is it a permissional thing? Like dear, dear spirits, we're going to we ask your permission <laughs> to walk amongst you. Or is it just more like, uh, this is our mission statement. I'm disclaimed. Like what, what's the prayer like, I guess is what I'm clunkily asking. Well, when we go, the, before we actually go into the location, we actually just say, you know, please protect us. Um, anything that's here, you know, it's not to come with us. It's to stay in this location. And, and you know, we all are Christians. So we, we do say a prayer to God, just protect us in this instance. Um, and then we go in and we do our investigation. And it it's not so much of a, hey, knock, knock, knock. Can we come in because we're, <laughs> we want to talk to you? Um, but we go into this space. And so, for example, say we walk into Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary and we're in the solitary confinement location, which is a subterranean. They call it the hole. It's a subterranean room. So we'll sit down and, and we say, you know, if we're talking to a specific entity, uh, for example, the entity there's name is George. We'll sit down and we'll say, George, hey, we're I'm Christy from Soul Sisters Paranormal. Uh, we're, we're here to speak with you tonight. If you're here with us, can you let us know that you're here by knocking on something? Um, in, in that case, we took some trigger items, which was some water and a cigarette. And we say, we left you some water. We have some cigarettes here for you. If you want to interact with those, please feel free to do so. We're not going to hurt you, but we want to tell your story. So if you'd like your story told, you can communicate with us. We've got some things here that you can communicate with us through. Of course, we do have pieces of equipment. And we talk to them in a very conversational way. And, and and like I said, for us, it, we've been able to get what I feel is very compelling responses, um, not just from Brushy, but from most of the locations that we've investigated. Man, you said something there. I think that um, it it triggered me um, with <laughs> um, bringing something back. 
you know, like having a spirit almost latch onto you or get into your spirit kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And I, but then I, my head immediately went to like, I guess the spirits are very, is regional the right word? Like they seem that they're stuck to a particular area or place because that's where the experience that they had that maybe led to their death or it was their most traumatizing moments at. Am I thinking about that the right way where spirits mo- are kind of like located to a certain um, geographical area? In most cases, I, I will agree with you on that. I do think spirits have the ability to move if they want. Um, I think the spirits that we've encountered are not so much happy, but they are comfortable in that space that they're at. Um, so, f- for example, and, and I'll go back just a little bit. I'll, I'll come back a level. For me, I think that there are there are several reasons why a spirit will remain what we call earthbound, um, instead of ascending to whatever realm is next, whether we call it heaven or whatever you want to call it. Um, and the, the first one is that they're stuck that for some reason they can't, uh, find the way to ascend to that next level. And for the example of that, we were at Hales Bar Dam in, in, in Tennessee, and that's a dam. It was a, it was a hydroelectric dam, and it had a tunnel that ran underneath it from one end of the river to the other, from one side of the river to the other. And the kids would use it to get to school. And um, at one point, the dam, the, the tunnel collapsed and a couple kids were killed. So when we investigated the dam, we were asking questions. And one of us said, why are you still here? Why haven't you gone on? And we caught a child's voice saying, I can't, I'm stuck. So in that instance, I think he knows he's dead. I think he knows he needs to ascend, but he doesn't know how to do that. Uh, so that's that example. Why, the can, next, can I I'm pause sorry? you on that? Well, I'm, I'm curious if you have a belief as to how some, and I guess beings is the proper term, sure. <laughs> beings yeah. get stuck, but other people don't. Well, again, again, I, I'm not sure what, you know, obviously none of us will have the answers. My theory is, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my theory is that for some reason he can't find his way. Um, he's, he knows that he's there, but he can't find his way, whether he wasn't given a guide or, you know, he, he can't for some reason, um, he just can't ascend to that next level. And, and mm. again, I'll come back one more level and say, my team does not assist in crossing over. That's not what we do. Um, we don't assist in exorcisms. We don't insist, uh, you know, assist in demonologies, uh, 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 releases or anything like that. That's not what we do. Uh-huh. So when we heard the, the voice saying, I can't, I'm stuck. What we do is we pass that on to the property owner. If they want to deal with it, if they want to find a way to, to ha- kind of help release him, then, then they can do that. We don't because we don't own the property. So, so that for us that, and that's just our mindset. There are other teams that will go in and, you know, try to talk them into the light or whatever, however you want to call it. We just don't do that. Um, just cause you're not, you're more interested into the, are they there or not versus getting them to whatever is the beyond. Well, for us, I mean, for, so for example, at the, at the, um, the Hales Bar Dam, we don't own that property. That's not ours. So I don't feel that it is, is right for us to assist any of their spirits to move on. Now, if it were my house and, and I might have a different feeling about that. If I've lived in a haunted house and I knew that a spirit was stuck, then I might call in somebody to help me release that spirit. Gotcha. But we're not going to do that. We're, we're in a commercial location. That's just not what we do. Oh, okay. uh, again, we're just trying to find out those, those, try to find some information and that will, um, you know, uh, just, just help the legitimacy of the reports of the haunting, if you will. 
Gotcha. Okay. That's okay. making, that's making sense. And that's amazing too. Cause I didn't even think of all like the little subsects in mm-hmm. within the paranormal industry. Mm-hmm. The fact that like, I, there's actually like a, 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 Oh, I'm sorry. We're not the company that assists in crossing over. <laughs> Allow me to refer you to, you know, like I had not thought of that. Yeah. And again, that's just, there are teams that, that do have a demonologist. They do have somebody that will, you know, help uh, exercise a demon. They have a a priest or something like that. Um, somebody that's ordained. We do not. Um, but we do have people that we call. So there's been instances where we've had people call us and say, I think my house has a demon in it. You know, we'll go and investigate. And at that point, we will call our demonologist or we'll call a priest and say, okay, can you help us on this case? And they'll, they'll take over that case from there. Gotcha. And I, so, I don't know if it's hearsay, but do they have any kind of theories as to why these um, beings need assistance in crossing over? For most of the, the demonologists obviously are dealing with the, the negative or the demonic entity entities. Um, I, I, there, there obviously is good and evil in the world. So for those, those type of, of spirits or those type of energies, if you will, the demonic energies, um, their theory, and I'm just putting this out there, my, their theory personally that I think is that it, it's connected to the devil is connected to some type of demonic, um, uh, uh, energy and, and they, they need to remove that, not so much help them cross over or go anywhere, but basically remove that negative energy. Um, so in that case, when they remove an energy from a location, that demonic energy from location, that demonic energy doesn't really ascend or descend, if you will use those terms, it actually just moves. Oh, so um, that I think that's kind of where their head would be at. Again, that I'm, it's not something that I'm I'm totally versed right. in. I'm not an expert in it. Uh, I just know that I have several on call that I will call in on on uh, on cases if we need them. Yeah, it's it's just that that's always and I've always um, so I teach um, reading. I'm a teacher, so I okay. super love the expositions of stories where like other people get bored. You know, I, I like I love the establishing of the motivation. So mm-hmm. I, I've you've uh, in my head I've always wondered. Why? Right? Mm-hmm. Why is it that easily you would assume so many people who pass their spirits are able to ascend, descend, go, and mm-hmm. then these other spirits get stuck? And when you're talking about them sharing a story, it makes me wonder like, does something happen that they feel needs to be heard out of a sense of like protection for others? Or is mm-hmm. it just like whatever is above them, right? That that God figure gives them this quest to stay down there. And then when you went demonic, I'm like, do some things is someone just like basically telling spirits to be a bully? And it's like, hey man, you got to go around and be the biggest dick you can be and scare the most amount of people and just be a jerk. You know, so I, I guess I just, I'm a little just thoughtful about the why, you know, like those children who had passed away like that, like, man, why? How come that child, you would think if anything, any being has a, a the ability to be raised up, it would be a child with innocence, right? Mm-hmm. So to be stuck in that sense, I'm like, man, that's, it's hard for me to understand. Oh, and I, and I agree. And, and, and like I said, there's, there's so many unknowns and we're never going to know. And, and that's the problem that I have with people that tell you that they're a paranormal expert. And I will <laughs> never tell you I'm an expert in this. I will tell you that I have experiences. I have, um, you know, a, a resume that extends for several years, more so than somebody who just got into this a week ago, but I will never call myself an expert because there are no experts, because these are theories that we're working with that can never be explained right. until we die. 
So I'm just telling you what I've felt in the field doing these investigations and going to these locations. Um, so for me, you know, like I said, the, the demonic nature of it, I don't feel personally that a demon is a being that used to exist in the world. Oh. Um, I, I think I think that a, a demon or a demonic energy, energy is something that is the evil part of the world not oh, so much that dude. it was uh, that was earthbound at some time yeah it's now not the, like charles the kid, manson i'm right? sorry yeah exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. charles manson's so, ghost running around just being a jerk <laughs> so like the kid the kid at hales bar you know i don't think he's going to become a demon i just think he's stuck he can't find his way right. um and, and that's one of the reasons that he stays you know I, I do think another reason is that the spirit is comfortable there because he's afraid to ascend and the the huh. example i have for that is we'll go back to west virginia state penitentiary and this was our second investigation. There is, there was a prisoner there by the name of Red Snyder, bad guy. He he was a murderer. He was one of the worst of the worst. He was the leader of the Aryan Brotherhood, and basically anybody in the prison that he wanted killed got killed. And so, a couple of the things that he really liked, though, in life were cigarettes and um, watching Days of Our Lives. So they would wheel a TV. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they would they would wheel a TV in front of his cell. And they would he would watch Days of Our Lives every day, Days of Our Lives every day, and so he was actually in, he actually ended up being killed in the prison by a rival gang. So when we went to investigate the prison the second time, knowing these facts, we left cigarettes in the jail cell, and I downloaded an episode of Days of Our Lives onto our laptop, and we <laughs> left it run in the cell. Just we left it run. We walked away. We went to another part of the prison, and we just let him watch it for an hour. So then we came back. And we we asked him, did you see what we left you? And we caught a male voice on the voice recorder saying yes. So indicating that, you know, uh, we feel that he saw what and, and he was going to respond to that. So then after that, we had what we call a K2 session. And we have these, they're, they're pieces of electronic equipment and they're called K2 meters. And basically what they do is they measure energy in the room. So if I were to take this K2 meter and set it in a field somewhere where there's no electricity, it will not alarm. It, the, it, it has a light scale, so green to red. And so if, if I'm setting it in a field somewhere, it's just going to stay green because there's no energy. If I set it next to a microwave and turn the microwave on, that takes it to red. So those are the two extremes, okay? okay? So in West Virginia State Penitentiary, there there is no power. There's no electricity on, and we always make sure that we have no electronics on us, i.e. cell phones or anything like that, that will set off any of our equipment. That's one of the things we're, we're very conscious about. Oh, my God, so, Chris, you go in there without, like, what do you do for emergency communication? Uh, we'll just go back to our wherever our base camp is. We have walkie-talkies between each other. Um, so what if, if we you need can't help, get to the base camp, Chris. What if I'm you sorry. can't get to the base camp, Chris? Oh my god! <laughs> well, knock oh. on wood, we've never had that problem. Walkie-talkies. Um, You're relying on walkie-talkies. Oh my. <laughs> oh. So, so yeah, so we don't have any of that on us. Um, but, uh, so we had two K2 meters and one was gray and one was black. And, uh, you know, we, ha we're standing the, the two meters, uh, two different people are holding them and they're about a foot and a half apart. So you would think if, if there's some type of, en say just an energy burst, both of these meters should go off at the same time because they're measuring the same amount of energy. But what we were able to do that night is 
we were asking red to go to the gray meter and then go to the black meter on certain questions. And it was responding as we were asking. So we ask a question and say, if this is true, can you light up the gray meter? The gray meter would light up. If this is true, can you light up the black meter? The black meter would light up. So again, because they're so close, you would expect that there would be a blip on one or the other, but there wasn't. So that to us is extremely telling that this is an, an, an intelligent being that we're dealing with. What so were you in, asking him? Like what kind of stories did you think he still has to tell? Uh, we, we were asking him, you know, why he still stayed here, why he liked Days of Our Lives, just kind of talking about his life, really, um, asking him, um, you know, did he did he commit the murders? Uh, we got a response to that. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other questions. Uh, but basically just having a conversation with him and, and asking him questions that he would be the one to answer, if that makes sense. No, yeah, it does, because uh, it would be like personal information, I guess you would think. Exactly. Um, exactly. But do you have to go like straight? Yes. No. Like the top corners of, I believe the top corners of the Ouija board. Yes. No. Or are there, <laughs> you know, like, cause if, if you're doing it in that method, you can't really be like so much the wise as much the true false. <laughs> Right. For the, for the K2 meters that we use, the yes, no's are, are better responses because, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to indicate yes and no. Um, I think, I believe in that night, again, this was, you know, 2015. So I believe in that night we we're asking questions like, did you commit the murders? Um, you know, again, did you see the things that we left you? If it's, if you do go to the gray meter, if you don't go to the, I mean, if, if you want us to leave, go to the black meters, that sort of thing. Um, do you believe so, that Laura knowingly cheated on John with his brother just to spite him <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, like the drama. Name Sometimes we'll go specific, very specific questions like that. <laughs> uh, I believe in that night we were asking more general questions. Um, but, but my reason for telling that story is I, I think that red was extremely comfortable in that location. Mm. So he, based on what he did in life, I think he knows he's dead, but he doesn't want to ascend because he's comfortable there. I mean, he ruled the roost at West Virginia state penitentiary. And I don't think he wants to move on for fear of what happens next, whether it retri retribution, yeah. you know, whether he, you know, thinks he's going to go to hell or whatever his thought process is. I think he's comfortable where he was because he was comfortable there in life. Now, that's an interesting uh, theory, man. Like mm -hmm. if you fear the repercussions of the afterlife, do you, while you're dying, have the power to put it off? Mm -hmm. Like I'd never thought about that either. Wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of these, some of these, uh, uh entities, I also feel, um, I, I don't think most of them have power per se. I just think that they're closer to the veil. If we want to call it a veil between what's next, um, than, than other spirits. And so I, I think for, for him, for red, he is, um, one of those, those spirits that it, he, he's very, he has a lot of energy. He had a lot of energy in life and he's just able to stay where he's at because he doesn't want to ascend. Right. And so that's my theory on it. Um, so again, I, I feel that you're either you're stuck and you can't ascend. You're you have fear of retribution um, for whatever's left. And the third one is I, I legitimately think they want their story told. And and so for me, when we're looking at entities or we're looking for spirits, those are the mindsets that we go into the investigation with. You know what why are they still here? Why, what is preventing them from moving on? Um, and, and so, like I said, when we go to these locations, <clears throat> the first phrase we'll say is, can we, can we tell your story? We want to legitimately, legitimately tell your story. So that, again, that's how we approach these investigations. Have you, 
actually, and I know you had mentioned um, you called on the voice recorder a yes, but mm-hmm. has there actually been a conversation away <laughs> from the yes and no where like it's a legit, like you could have drank a cup of coffee, had a beer? <laughs> <clears throat> Not so much a conversation, but we have had phrases, which again, t- to me is extremely compelling. Um, and, and so for the example for that, we were at the Exchange Hotel in Gordonsville, Virginia, and this hotel was built pre-Civil War, and Gordonsville was a railroad town, and so basically there was a junction between the northwest line and the east-west, uh, the north-south line and the east-west line, and so when the trains would come in, they needed a place to stay while they were waiting for the next train, so a hotel was established. So it's a it's a large three-story hotel, has multiple rooms. And, um, and, and so it was, it was very grand. It had these grand verandas and all of that. And there was a couple of deaths reported there, um, before the civil war. So there was one of a child who got hit by a train, um, and a couple other deaths, uh, in, in the area and in the hotel. And then the civil war happened and the hotel was converted into a civil war hospital that saw both union and Confederate soldiers. So there's factual, um, reports of 700 deaths that occurred in that hotel. So a lot of anguish, a lot of, um, you know, uh, sad energy in that hotel. And then after the civil war, it was reconverted back into the hotel and it remained a hotel until the, the mid 1960s, I believe. Do you think they told people like when you checked, do you think that people knew when they checked in that it was a civil war hospital that they were like spending the night in with over 700 deaths? Um, yeah, I, I believe so. I mean, it's, it's a fact that they've been touting, so I'm oh. absolutely positive. <laughs> so, like, people went there knowing, mm-hmm. oh, my God. See, mm-hmm. that, that, and- that's a deal breaker for me. I'm going one star. <laughs> that's <laughs> see, see, for me, it's fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyway, so we went to the hotel. And it's interesting because they have it set up as a, as a museum now. And so half of the rooms are set up as uh, army hospitals, Civil War hospitals. Oh so you have gosh. the cots and all of the, the amputation equipment and the surgical equipment in some of the rooms. And then in the other rooms are set up like a hotel. So you have these clawfoot tubs and, and beds and all of that. So one of the reports of the activity is that there's a child in the house. Now, now disclaimer, we have no children on our team and we never have children on the property when we're anywhere in these locations. So I can firmly tell you that there's no children anywhere around the property when we're there. So one of the reports is that there's a child that likes to play with equipment. Um, So we brought some trigger items for this child. His name was Joshua. And so we brought some trigger items and we were, um, there was two, two of us, myself and my investigator, Kim, and we're probably about nine feet away in this hallway. So she sat on one end and I sat on the other end and we both had one of those K2 meters in front of us. And I was saying, you know, uh, Joshua, if you're here, if you're beside me and you want me to roll this glow in the dark ball down to Kim, will you light up my meter? And my meter lit up. Stop. So I rolled, so I rolled, so I rolled the ball down and Kim got the ball. And then Kim said, if you want me to roll the ball back to Christy, light up my meter. So her meter lit up. So we did this for about 20 minutes. And I mean, it was fascinating. So then we left and, and we, when we go into these locations, we always leave stationary equipment in a lot of the rooms. So even though we're not investigating in a specific room per se, we have a camera and a voice recorder that covers that room all night. 
So we set a voice recorder on one of the beds that was set up as the hotel room. So it was sitting on the bed, and we were actually outside of the hotel at this time because they have a summer kitchen that we were also investigating. And when we went back to listen to our voice recordings, we caught a child's voice saying, hi, this is my bed. So <laughs> it, 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 to me, that is extremely compelling because, again, it's a child and we have no children. And two, it indicates an intelligent response because the child I feel is talking to the voice recorder, kind of saying, hi, um, you know, you're on my bed. What's going on here? So that's that was extremely compelling to me. The next instance, um, about two and a half hours later, uh, a couple of the investigators were in the hotel. They were across the hallway in another room, and we capture a male voice on the voice recorder saying, I don't know. I'll be back at 4.30. We have no males <laughs> on the team. We're an all-female team, and this voice sounded like – I mean, it's clear as day. It sounds like an elderly man saying, I don't know. I'll be back at 4.30. To me, that sounds like a residual saying – I don't know if it's a doctor or a traveler waiting for a train or something like that. But it's something that he would have said in the time period. I don't know. I'll be back at 430. Um, so to me, to answer your question in a very long winded way, no, not, um, all. not long winded at all. The the responses that we've gotten, a lot of them have been more phrases rather than conversations. Why do you think that is? How come they can't just chat? Like, again, not not to be gimmicky or whatever, but, you know, Casper the Friendly Ghost makes a friend, <laughs> has complete conversations, right? Like, there's tons of these movies, Goosebumps. These spirits come back, they latch on to someone to help them with their mission or share their story. So, like, mm-hmm. how come why, – why do you think that is, that it's more phrasical? For me personally, I think because it takes a lot of energy to say a phrase or to um, appear as an apparition, I think that's why some of the responses are limited. Um, you know, and I think that's why we get a lot of whisper voices like "hey" or "hello" because it's it's expelling a voice rather or expelling of, of energy rather than trying to manipulate energy. So I because we do get a lot of that, we get a lot of the hellos or "hey"s or "hi"s or "I'm here." or something like that. And, and a lot of the times it's in a whisper voice. Um, but those two from the exchange hotel were very clear, um, and very complete sentences, which, you know, to us have been some of the most compelling evidence that we've captured on these investigations. Um, we also have other pieces of equipment that we use that, um, are, are designed to elicit full conversations or full phrases. Um, oh, really? one of those, one of those is called a spirit box. And essentially what a spirit box is, it's a small AM FM radio that's been, um, it has a, what we call a sweep button on it. So it's been manufactured to actually sweep very quickly through AM or FM frequencies. So when you turn it on, it sounds like a radio, but when you hit the sweep button, because it's sweeping so fast through these frequencies, it sounds like a Okay. As it's sweeping through frequencies. So when you're listening to it, like say I set up, set it up right beside me right now, when you're listening to it, what you're expecting to hear is maybe some blips from radio stations like, like that, Okay. but, but not full phrases. Okay. 
So the first time we actually used the spirit box, we were at the Ma Barker house in Ocklawaha, Florida. And this is the location where the FBI tracked down and killed Ma and Fred Barker, who were part of the Barker Carpus gang of the 1920s and the 1930s. So it was their hideout for a few months, and the FBI tracked them down. Ma and Fred were surrounded in the house. A, a gun battle ensued, and Ma and Fred were killed in the house. So when we went to investigate the house, again, we had the spirit box and we went up to the room where Ma and Fred were killed, where their bodies were found. And so we turned it on. And, and this house, just to set the scene, this house sits on 40 acres of vacant land. There is nothing around. There's no light pollution. There's no noise pollution. Um, you need a four-wheel drive vehicle to get to it because it's on Florida sand. <laughs> and so it's extremely isolated. So we were able to control for all environmental factors. And plus, the the, the spirit box is, is a small handheld radio. I mean, it fits in the palm of my hand. So it, it's range to pick up radio stations is pretty much nil and so when we turned it on at the Ma Barker house we just heard that static we weren't really picking up any radio frequencies so we just heard that static so we took that up into the room where Ma and Fred were killed and we turned it on and we let it run for a few seconds or a few minutes so we just heard that static and I asked um, what happened in this room and through the box came the phrase they murdered us we're the ones dead so it says they murdered us we're the ones dead and so to follow up on that, I asked if they could say the word Blackburn. And the reason I asked that is because when Ma and Fred rented the house, they rented it under the name of the alias of T.C. Blackburn. So I said, if you're here with us, can you say the name Blackburn? And through the spirit box came the word Blackburn. Stop. And it's, it's, it's a word that is extremely germane to the situation, obviously. And it's a word that no radio station, if we were picking them up, would be saying at the exact moment I'm asking it to say it. So, you know, that is to me is extremely compelling evidence um, of, of spirit activity in that location. Why? So <laughs> I got to ask though, no, no, and I'm, I'm not um, discrediting or anything like that. Oh, but uh, I love this. I love this dialogue. Go yeah, ahead. Um, well, why are they able, why are the spirits able to speak through a spirit box that's scanning through these um, stations? Why does that help? The, the theory is that the energy from the box, as well as the white noise, allows them to talk through, essentially through that white noise. Um, so oh. it, it provides them a sense of, of energy. So kind of in, in very generic terms a battery. It, 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 it allow, and that's another thing why, you know, a lot of paranormal investigators, when they go to these locations, experience what we call battery drain. Um, you know, you can go in with a fully charged camera and five minutes after crossing the threshold of the house, the camera's drained. And we believe that spirits are using that energy from those batteries to actually manipulate either a sound or become an apparition or something like that. So the theory behind the, the spirit box is they're using that, that the energy of the battery to talk through the white noise. And then the speaker, if, if you go with the energy thing, just the fact that there's a speaker there would allow that whisper to be heard or whatnot. That, exactly. It, it allows for the, ampli the, you know, the, the, the noise to be amplified. Right, man. Yeah. Dude, I, I had not thought about that either, man. So much I've not thought about. I had not thought. <laughs> well, I'm here to answer your question, Sean. <laughs> I just hadn't thought about the um, spirit's energy being mm -hmm. limited like that. Like mm -hmm. it would be like a second death if they ran out of energy. Would they not be able to move and would be sloth-like and just really bored? They they can't. And then all of a sudden you can't acquire new energy. 
it's fascinating to me that there's this second sense of life energy within a spirit that is no longer alive. <laughs> and that, you know, I've never heard it phrased like that, but you know, that, trademark. that is trademark. <laughs> you know, that, that is an interesting way to say that. Um, you know, for me, the, the entities that we've encountered, um, there have been, like I said, some very low whispers. There's been some very low knocks. Um, but when we do go into the room with some of our pieces of equipment, you know, the energy does seem to be amplified. Um, and, and, and I think that that may be the reason because they're drawing from the energy from some of our equipment. Um, and, and for us, you know, like I said, we do have a lot of equipment, but we really do try to have a, what I would call, um, an old school approach, if you will. So if, while we have all of this electronic equipment, our best piece of, of, of equipment that we take is our voice recorders, because I feel that that's the, the purest form of communication is, is speaking and the easiest for um, a, an entity or a spirit. So we take our voice recorders. We always have one with us. We always leave them in certain locations around um, the property in certain rooms and stuff like that. And we'll leave them running throughout the night because, you know, it's from, in my mind, it's easy easier for a spirit to say something rather than to appear as an apparition or to move something See, because speaking takes less energy. That's what I was thinking too. I was like, it has to be right. The, to, to whatever, whatever molecules are left within you as a spirit in order to become dense enough to touch another object that is dense enough to move it and deal with the gravitational pull of it and like friction and all this stuff. I'm like, that would be very taxing if I was a limited energy spirit. But how much energy is it to just make an audio sound compared to a physical push, touch, exactly. nudge? Exactly. Oh. So for us, like I said, the voice recorders are our best piece of equipment. Um, we've got 12 of them and we leave them everywhere around the location. And, um, and, and it, I mean, it does lead for a very long evidence review because when we, after our investigation, you know, we take every piece of equipment that we have, oh, audio God. and visual, and we sit and listen to every piece of audio that we recorded and every, and we watch every piece of footage that we captured. You got to so get some got... interns, man. You got to get like five, <laughs> you got to get up with a college and get like five or eight interns, maybe a video film school. <laughs> see, I, see, I'm such a control freak though, that I would uh, be thinking, um, are you sleeping on the job? Right. Did you catch all, you know, did you listen to everything? Um, so that, that is the hardest part of these yeah, investigations. It's actually going through the evidence review, but you know, when you're sitting there and you, you hear nothing for hours and hours and all of a sudden you hear a whisper come through sure. it, to, to me, it's adrenaline. No um, doubt. you know, it's like, yep, here we go. And, and it just makes me want to listen more or watch more. How are you staying awake all night? Or I, I guess I shouldn't assume, but um, do the majority of your investigations occur at night? They do. They do for a couple of reasons, and that's a great question. Um, the the what I call the commercial locations are those locations that um, are known to have a haunting and they have a commercial presence. So a lot of them operate during the day. They have day tours uh, and historical okay. tours. So to get in there and really investigate, you have to go at night. And then second of all, at, at night your senses are heightened, right? You, you, you can't really rely on the sense of sight um, unless you have a flashlight on. You really can't rely on the sense of sight, but you can rely on the sense of hearing. Um, the sense of smell becomes heightened um, and touch to some extent. You know, if you feel something on the floor moving or you hear a door slam, you know, your, your sense of touch and feel is heightened as well. So it, it is and it is very um, interesting for us to go at night. But the, quest the next question is, do we capture anything during the day? And yes, we absolutely do. 
Uh, you know, I've been to the Ma Barker house several times and we capture stuff during the day. We capture stuff on audio. Um, we've captured stuff on video. Uh, I was at Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia doing a day tour and I always keep a voice recorder with me. And we were just walking through one of the casemates, uh, myself and another female investigator, and we captured a male voice during the day. So when people say you can only catch stuff at night, that's not true. You know, spirits are, are able to, to manifest or, or say a word or whatever during the day as well. Yeah. Cause I mean, like, why would they care? Right. If they're trying mm-hmm. to be heard or if they're bored, <laughs> right. Like, like then like, what do they care if it's day or night, they're not going to get arrested. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, you know, that, that we do get that question, um, very, very frequently. And, uh, so the answer is, yeah, we, we do have to do most of them at night. Um, but, uh, we've, we've done numerous day investigations and we've captured uh, very compelling evidence as well. Yeah. So your sleep cycle is just all fucked up, man. Huh? It's whacked. Yeah, God. It, it really is. I mean, sometimes I'm going to bed at four in the morning and getting up at eight or something like that, but you just, it's, it, you kind of get used to it. Honestly. Um, for me, it, it's really, worth it when I can put together a video that highlights these historic locations and then bring in some compelling evidence and unexplainable evidence. Uh, you know, to me, it's very rewarding. We just released our video from the Lizzie Borden house a couple of weeks ago, and the response has been tremendous. And I, I do feel it's because we add that historical factor in there. Um, and then we're able to really combine that history with the paranormal aspect. And for us, the historical part is the driving factor. Right. If it I were to go to like a location and, and not capture any paranormal activity, I'm still going to put together a video highlighting the history of that location because I feel it's so important. Um, and and to, to highlight that and maybe give some give the audience some facts that they don't know about that location. And if I can do that and help preserve that location in some way, I feel that's my my main goal in this. God, and, uh, cool. so for us, it, it, the, the historical factor is, is extremely important in what we do. I, b- before I ask about history, I, I'm kind of interested in the sleep thing because if, <laughs> yeah. well, cause in my head with REM cycles, right? So like, when do you dream? Don't you normally dream more towards the beginning and the end when you're not as deep asleep? Mm-hmm. So then the lo- longer you sleep, then like whatever you hit your REM three, four hours in, then you get a nice little like three, four hour stretch, maybe, maybe an hour for some people. But mm-hmm. I feel like you're a constant napper. Like you probably just got to grab sleep when you can, which then I assume leads to all sorts of crazy ass dreams. <laughs> I do have some vivid dreams, let me tell you. Um, but for me, it's just, you know, it's not every night. It's not like I'm going to bed at four in the morning every night. Um, and, I, and I do set times during the day to watch video and, and listen to audio. So it's not like I'm just doing this at night. Um, for me, I found a, a, a pretty healthy balance. I, I get six, seven hours of sleep every day. Um, every now and then I'll nap. But for me, nap is kind of a waste of the day. Oh really? Um, Interesting. Yeah, you know, I've never, I've never been a big napper, honestly. And if for me, it's like I'm, I'm wasting daylight. I, I need to be doing something, or mm. I want to be doing something, or, or finishing a project, or starting a project. But, um, you know, like I said, for me, I, I've been able to find a really good balance. Um, and I, and I don't sit and watch, uh, you know, the, the audio, the video footage, and listen to the audio footage, um, constantly. It's not like that's m- not what I do. 24 hours a day. You know, I do set aside time. We have a, a block of time where, we, where we're listening and watching this. And that's why it takes so long. Um, you know, it usually takes probably about a month from the investigation to go through everything and then put together and edit the video of our, of our um, investigation. Do the, do the spirits creep into your dreams? Like if you're working on Lizzie Borden or you're working on Ma Barker, 
Like, are you so, cause you seem very intense and hyper-focused <laughs> and very <laughs> and, thorough, right? Like, so it has to get in your subconscious at some point. That's a great question. And nobody's ever asked me that before. That's a great question. And I'll, I'll say for the investigations, no, I've never dreamt about an investigation huh. or the, you know, the, the entities there that's never happened, but I've ha I had a very intense dream one time, and this is the most intense dream that I've ever had. Um, my granddaddy, he passed in 1986, and uh, he and my nana had been together for about 40 years at that point. And so he died in 1986, and we were, we were kind of close. Of course, I was young at the time. And it, about three years ago, uh, he came to me in a dream, and it was a very specific dream. It was a very specific location in the house that he and my Nana shared. It was in his office. And in the dream, he came to me, and he, he I could tell you what he's wearing. I could tell you how he smelled. I looked, everything. This was such wow. a vivid dream. So he came to me in the dream, and he didn't say anything. He looked at me, and he turned and walked off through a wall and it and so that was the first night it happened the second night and then the third night same dream Stop. so i was talking to my mom about it and i said you know granddaddy has come to me in this dream three nights in a row i'm not sure what's going on so she said just kind of you know off the cuff she said we'll ask him what he wants so interestingly enough the fourth night here he comes in the dream same dream same location all of that and I said, Granddaddy, what do you want? And he looks at me and he said, I'm waiting for your Nana. You're going to be getting a call soon. And then he turns and walks through the wall. So about two weeks later, my Nana was in an accident and she crushed her hip and she had to have several operations and she never really recovered from that. So she was 94 at the time and she never really recovered. So she ended up getting MRSA and they put her in hospice. And the day she passed... And with permission from my family, about three hours after she passed, I looked at my sister Jenny and I said, she's going to go meet granddaddy at that house. And since she had been, you know, in the hospital and hospice for a while, we had the, the power turned off at the house. Oh so we went, we went to the house and I went, we went into the office where the dream was and we had our two K two meters. And I said, you know, Nana, granddaddy, are y'all here? And our K two meters started going off. And I said, Nana, if you're here, go to the gray meter. And the gray meter lit off. I said, if you're here, go to the black meter. And black meter went off. And so we, through those questions, we were able to ascertain that, yes, yeah, she met granddaddy there at that house and that they were together and they were fine. And so just to validate, we went back a week later and did the same exact experiment, asking the same exact questions with the exact same K2 meters and nothing. We didn't get a blip. We didn't get anything on any of our equipment. And so for me, that was extremely peaceful because it allowed me to, in my mind, feel that Nana met up with granddaddy and they ascended together. And it also allowed me to believe that when we pass, we're met by somebody that we know. That would be the um, spirit that, guide that, that you had referred to earlier. Exactly. That allows you to move you know, with somebody because you're not, you're not scared and you're not in that situation. So maybe some spirits don't have that guide. They don't have that person in their life that is there to help them move on for whatever reason. But for me, that was an extreme example of, you know, this, th it's going to be okay. Um, and it, it allowed me to feel okay for Nana and granddaddy. It allowed me to feel okay for, for my life. Um, you know, everybody has an innate fear of death, obviously, but for right. me now it's, it's a little bit more peaceful than it was before, if that makes sense. So Four, to answer your question about dreams, there you go. <laughs> Four nights in a row, same dream. Uh huh. I don't know if like, it, maybe I'm weird. 
I don't know if I've really ever had the same dream. Mm-hmm. I, I don't dream very just- often. That was, see, that was the same for me. Now, because I'm a, a very avid reader and such, I do have, I've always had vivid dreams. Um, and so, you know, the, and I can remember them for a, a long period of time. Um, so for me, going into a dream state is actually a lot of fun for me. Um, but for this one, you're right, reoccurring dreams are extremely rare for me. And so to have that one, and, and like I said, the first night I had it, it frightened me. I, I woke up, I was actually in a cold sweat because, you know, he's, he's looking at me. Um, and, and so I, I actually woke up, I thought it was a nightmare. And so when it happened the next couple of nights, I was like, okay, I I read in my subconscious, I'm like, I recognize this, this is what's going to happen. And like I said, I was talking to my mom and she said, well, you know, why don't you just ask him what he wants? Just really kind of off the cuff like that. Just ask him what he wants. (laughs) And I guess that triggered whatever in my mind. And so I did that fourth night I asked him, I said, granted, what do you want? And like I said, I can tell you what he was wearing, how he looked, how he smelled, how he sounded. It was, it was literally like speaking to my granddaddy when he was alive. And, um, and, and so, and I told mom, I said, he said, we're going to be getting a call about Nana. And, and, you know, it's just one of those things that you say and you don't really think about. And then after her accident, it was like, whoa, um, yeah, maybe there's something to this. Do you think it doesn't sound like your grandfather needed so much to communicate as more like comfort or prepare you and your family or did or do you think there is an actual motivation to it or do you think you were just like somehow tuned in you're you're like whatever rem sleep cycle allowed you more spiritually susceptible to um his communication I think it may be a little bit of both. Um, I, I think he probably wanted to know, listen, it, it, there's something that's good because my Nana and I were extremely close. I mean, uh, I, my, my, I'm named after my Nana. So uh, we were extremely close. And I think maybe he wanted to prepare me um, in the instance when, when he said it. It was one of those things that I didn't really comprehend. I, I, I guess I, I, it wasn't one of those things where I rushed to Nana and say, "Hey, something's going to happen to you." Right. Um, it, because and I've gotten that question a lot. It's like, "Why didn't you warn your Nana?" But you know, what is she going to do? Sit in the chair for the rest of her life? I mean, she still had to live her life. Yeah. So um, for me, it was. It, I, I think in my heart, I believe that he was just trying to say, "Listen." I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for your Nana. It's going to be okay. And again, I never really put it in the moment as how important it was until when, after she passed again, she was in hospice after she passed, I looked at Jenny and I'm like, I know exactly where she's going. I know where she's going. Yeah, and so, you know, we left, we actually left the hospice facility. We ran home, got some equipment and ran right to the house. So it was literally three hours after she passed. I told my family cause we were all there. I said, do you, are you guys okay with us doing this? And they said, go, yep, go. And, and we did. And it was just to me, Again, one of those things. I think I was just kind of given the sign that she's okay. I'm gonna be. She's gonna be okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna grab her and I'm gonna meet her. Um, and, and so again, for me, the entire experience. When I look at it, you know, looking back, the entire experience to me is just one of peace and and one of it's okay. Um, you know, this is what's gonna happen when you pass. And it just, it was extremely compelling. And it's one of those things that to me is, is a little bit unexplainable, but I mean, I'm, I'm very appreciative that it happened to me. How far into the, um, soul sisters business were you when this dream came about? 
This was three years ago. So oh, we were, we're yeah. about four years. Yeah. Okay. Man, yeah. Cause like, I just wonder, um, almost like a weight trainer where the more you do it, the stronger you get. Right. So yeah. if you're around and looking for and asking for th- this kind of world, this alternative mm-hmm. universe, do you feel like you're more, your senses are now more like honed and susceptible to, um, picking this stuff up? Or do you think like everybody could do it if they had a couple K2 meters? <laughs> I, I think anybody can do it. And if anybody wants to get into paranormal investigations, you know, the first thing I would say would just grab a voice recorder and go, go to a cemetery, go to a haunted location or a reported haunted location and, and ask questions. And, and I think anybody can do it. The thing that I think sets us apart is, you know, everybody hears but not a lot of people listen. Mm. And I think what we've been able to do is really hone that listening skill. And it, it, it is kind of like, it is, it's a, it's a skill. Um, it's one of those things that we've actually focused on. Um, you know, we, like I said, it, it takes a lot of effort to sit down and listen to 180 hours of, of audio, especially when, you know, 179.9 minutes of it is static and you get nothing. Um, so the, it takes a lot of discipline to do that. And I, I don't know if a lot of people are willing to invest that time. Yeah. So to answer your question, I, I do think it, it is, it's like a, a trainer. It is, we've, we've gone through this. We've, we've seen things and heard things that we can't explain. And it, it, it allows us to be a little bit more aware, I think. Yeah. And then I immediately, when you were talking about that too, I, I go to your family and was it weird when you and your sisters approach your family and like, Hey man, we're going to start this business. Uh-huh. Or like, we're, is your family just like spiritual? Like, like you guys are Ouija boarders on Saturday night? Anyway? <laughs> no. And, and, and to, for that specific question, no. And, and we don't use Ouija boards. It's something that we just decided we're not going to use <laughs> just because of the ne- negative connotation right? that really surrounds it. Well, so yeah, we don't I mean, use- you can almost hear it with me. Like that's my go-to right remark. Like <laughs> I, it, it's almost like a, would it be like a pop culture ghost reference kind of a thing? <laughs> I think you know? so. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's fine because that's a, that's a very valid question. Um, my family, when we first started doing this, it was like, okay, you know, that that's, that's interesting. That's cool. Um, when we started showing them the evidence from the first investigation at West Virginia state penitentiary, it was like, okay, you know, interesting, uh, different, um, you know, <laughs> that's, that's cool. Um, uh, when we really started going to these locations and then documenting, because, because we could, when we, when we did the first investigation, it wasn't really in my mindset to do these documentary type videos. And so we actually did three investigations. Yes, we we did three investigations. And then the the family started asking, well, what's it like? What's it feel like? You know, what does it look like when you go into these places? What, I mean, because we showed them, you know, pictures and snippets of video and stuff of just like the raw video. And, and so my family just really started to be curious about what we were actually seeing. And so I said, well, let me just do a a video. This was at Fort Mifflin, which was my first video, but not our first investigation. I said, let me just put this video together of Fort Mifflin and I'll show you, you know? And so that really became, I guess, the turning point for my family, because obviously they know, um, we're not crazy. Uh, you know, we're, we're not <laughs> wackadoos, if you will. Um, we all have a scientific background. We all have advanced degrees. And so it's not, not something that we're going to make up, um, or it, it, we're not going to manipulate evidence or anything like that. Right. Um, and my family knew this. So after they watched that Fort Mifflin video, I think that was the turning point. And now my family from my mom and dad to my extended family, aunts, uncles, and cousins, 
are our biggest fans. I mean, I'm constantly getting emails. Hey, Chris, when, when are you going to put together the next video? Where are you going to <laughs> next? Um, you know, and, and so there, it, it's actually a very cool transition from being a little bit, uh, you know, skeptical. Okay. That that's cool. Nothing's really going to come of it to now seeing that we have this very legitimate professional group where, you know, we have a, a logo, we have our trademark, we have our name and we have a following. It's, uh, it, it's really very cool. They've, um, they've really embraced what we do and uh they've become our biggest fans i i'm just wondering like your poor mom and dad are sitting there with kids with these um doctorate degrees and <laughs> and it's just like just go go grab the diploma and flush it down the toilet then <laughs> you know like go let's have we're having a fire we're burning all of these and then you're like i guess that's where my head went and i maybe it's again like a stereotype of like this it's so hard, man. It's such a grind to get those PhDs, those advanced mm-hmm. degrees, and you put so much energy, time, resources, money into it. And yeah. then it's like, you know what? I, I just kind of am really interested and passionate about this spiritual world. I'm going to do that, mom. See ya. Well, yeah, but, 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 you know, this isn't what we do full time. I mean, we do have other jobs. Oh, do you um, really? Yeah, oh, okay. Michelle and Carl are practicing lawyers. Uh, Kim is a, is a high school teacher. Um, you know, my sister works at the uh, University of Central Florida. We, we, I'm a college professor. Um, you know, we, we all have real life oh, professions. Oh, shit. So, dude, yeah, I yeah, so this thought this was full time. Oh, my God. Talk None about a grind know. with the editing then. Jeepers. <laughs> No, no, no. We, we actually have full-time jobs and, oh. you know, real world jobs. This is what we do because we're passionate about it. And we do it, um, not as a hobby, but we do it on the side. Yeah. Do, and I just realized now why the, um, ghosts need, or the spirits need permission to touch you since you have practicing lawyers on your team. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, no, no, no. We, we all, we all have full-time, full-time jobs that we, oh. we do in addition to this. So man, that, wow. Mm-hmm. And, I know you had said that you don't have, or you don't, you do not bring kids there, but are there children within your family circle? In, in my extended family cousins. Yeah. In fact, one of my cousins just had a baby yesterday. So yeah, we have, we have children. It's a very, it's a large family. It Um, sounds like it. That's what I was asking. Multiple aunts and uncles and we're all over the country. Um, and, and it's actually kind of neat. You know, we have extended family from, you know, cousins from my Nana's side in Texas and and they've embraced this as well. You know, we've connected on Facebook and uh, it's just, it really is a very cool family dynamic that they've become our biggest fan base. Right. I was just wondering, because you had mentioned, again, with the kids and the baby and stuff, if there was any anxiety, uh, animosity is the wrong word. Uh, Maybe anxiety is the right word, trepidation about like, I know the spirits aren't attaching, but what if a spirit attached and now you're around a baby and is the baby strong enough? Is the child strong enough to fight this spirit off if need be? Have like any (laughs) of those conversations or am I just going cuckoo with it? No, we've never delved into it that that deeply. Um, you know, for us, all I can say is none of our personalities have changed. Uh, you know, we're we're extremely confident that we've never had an attachment, um, and if we did, then we would not expose our family to that. Um, we would call in an expert to help us deal with that. Right. But you know, again, back to my previous statement, I, I think it is because we don't go in with that, that mindset. I mean, we don't go in looking for demonic. We don't yeah. go in looking for negative. Um, you know, we go in with a very empathic, if you will, uh, mindset to legitimately tell the stories of the entities that we're trying to speak with. I think more importantly, do you wear a mask so you don't catch it? 
No, I'm just okay. kidding. That was like a COVID. <laughs> it sounded it, for like 10 seconds there. It almost like you're like, and if we had it, we would be sure not to be around. We would deal with the proper people. I'm like, that's exactly connected to like what people you know, with well, COVID. For an hour and a half, I had did not have COVID on my mind. And then you go and ruin it, Oh, Sean. God, that's so true. I'm sorry. Especially in Florida. I should be I should be more thoughtful. But it did, like, and I don't know why, like in my head, I just pictured this like stupid paradigm of like asking these spirits and then like having the, I wear a mask, I don't wear a mask. Like I provoke the spirits, I don't provoke the spirits. And then like you see the spirit flying into the person that provokes them. And then you see like COVID flying into the person without a mask. And you're like, why is this any different? I, I just saw it like as a cartoon in my head. I don't. That's actually very funny. Right? If I could draw. God, if only I could draw. What do you, um, what do you teach, Professor. <laughs> uh, actually, my background is in biometric identification systems, mostly for airport access control. So my background has been with, uh, you know, fingerprint readers, iris imagers, facial recognition. Uh, so that has been mostly my 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 classes that I teach: aviation security, aviation general management, um, a lot of criminal justice classes because our master's is in criminal justice. So those are the classes that I teach, mostly online. Got you. Biometric yeah. identification systems. And does that come about um, like I, there had to be a big boom of um, post 9-11 and that's that what got me of, into it. Absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, my, my initial focus was on uh, another aspect of criminal justice, justice, actually, uh, uh, drug enforcement. But after 9-11, uh, in fact, the day after 9-11, I, I went to my uh, doctoral chair and I said, I'm changing my focus. And he's like, you know nothing about aviation security. And I said, well, I'm going to learn. Um, <laughs> so, so then I spent uh, numerous years crisscrossing the country, um, working at different airports, working for different biometric uh, identification and credentialing companies. And uh, yeah, so that was my focus for a while. Um, and then uh, kind of moved into some other family businesses that we have. And uh, so, it, no, like I said, we're all we're all full time. And this is something that we've we've just built a passion for and we do it on the side. That sounds so eclectic, right? Like, like <laughs> no, like in a super good way, because it's just like it sounds like you're just a naturally curious and passionate person that gets <laughs> into stuff. And when you get into it, you get into it. Well, absolutely. I mean, because for us, at least in the paranormal community, like I said, it 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 is already looked at as a subculture. Um, you know, when you when you say I'm a paranormal investigator, you either get somebody that looks at you like you have two heads, or they want to tell you their ghost story. Uh, there's very few in betweens. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, for us, it was really something that if we're going to do this. We're going to do it correctly, what we considered correctly. Right. And that is, you know, a, prof a professional look, a, a brand, uh, an image, a trademark, uh, a name. Um, you know, I had uh, I had commissioned our, our theme music. So all of that is is encompassed in what we feel is our professional look, because it is difficult. If you if you go into a location and, you know, you're wearing hoodies and ripped jeans and, you know, <laughs> flip flops, I, I just feel we're already fighting a negative stereotype. Type. Not so much negative, but a different stereotype. Almost an unprofessional, it, like yeah, a lack exactly, of professionalism. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So for us, that was first and foremost. I mean, before we even did investigation number four, we had, like I said, I commissioned a tattoo artist to do our logo. We had our logo, our branding, all of that really set. Um, and then we started doing the investigations under that brand. Did you get the tattoo? Is Are you branded by your own brand? 
I have not gotten the tattoo yet. But I want, want to, to get it. Oh uh, my gosh. I actually, I actually wanted to cover up another tattoo. Oh. <laughs> uh, but I have not gotten it yet. My problem is I'm, I'm super scared of needles. So um, the first two tattoos, I've, I've got two. The first two were extremely difficult to sit through for me. So um, I'm, I'm gearing up the courage to, to get that done. Um, but I have not done it yet. You got to tell me about the cover up tattoo. What are you trying to cover up? What are you ashamed of? <laughs> I'm not so much ashamed of it. It's just, you know, it's, it's just kind of faded a little bit. I got it back in college. Um, so I just had two dolphins on, on my back. So um, I want to kind of incorporate that into our logo. I think it can be done with the right tattoo artist. You know, okay. just kind of take those dolphins and incorporate it into our, our logo. Because our logo right now is a, a sugar skull. And uh, so I think it can fit nicely in there dolphins like diving in between the eyeballs or the eye something, sockets yeah, or something or actually just cover it up with some color sorry cover it up with some color or something wow. but uh <laughs> tell me the, so maybe, maybe in the future tell me the dolphin when, why did you get the dolphin tattoo story how did your parents uh, react to that <laughs> um they were uh I, I told them after i got it um again <laughs> it was it was a college deal um it was a dare between some friends after a night of a few beers and, uh, <laughs> I just got the dolphins because I'm a Pisces. Um, and I, I, I feel very connected to that sign. So there's really no other story behind it other than that. God. Did you get to pick or like they, the dare is just, Hey man, you're too chicken to get a tattoo and you're just so competitive. You're like, fuck you, man. I can get any tattoo I want. <laughs> you, go no, the dare was that, you know, after, after our night of a few beers, um, just a few mom, um, <laughs> we, uh, we, we woke up and said, Hey, let's, let's all go get tattoos because that's what we were talking about last night. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it was true. a Sunday morning and five girls all tromped into the tattoo parlor and we all got tattoos. Oh. And were they all it, and Pisces that's, um, astrology, right? Yes. Astrological. Uh, so were they all yes. in that kind of um, vein or did someone get like the like tribal band or like a typical tramp stamp kind of a thing too? <laughs> um, I know one got a butterfly um, because uh, she, she and I were side by side. So I know she got the butterfly on her foot. Um, I honestly can't think what the other three got. I, I can't remember. I'm seriously, this was back in college. So um, I, I can't remember. Only I just like need, 10 I years ago, got the Chris, that was only like 10 years ago for you. Oh, I wish. It took me 10 years ago. <laughs> Dude, I've always had tattoo paralysis where I'm not scared of the needle. I just overthink the representation and I want it to be way too clever, thoughtful, artsy, completely original. And then I'm like, what the fuck is that going to be? You know? <laughs> like, I've, like, it's something I've battled and I'm almost 40, man. It's something I've battled since probably I was 18. And like the armband tribal tattoos were going and I saw that trend and I'm like, they're going to regret that. You know, like, like that's <laughs> exactly that, the barbed wire is, is going to be very saggy and the fence will be broken down in decades. Yes. And I could never like get the um, pragmatic, the pragmaticness <laughs> of a tattoo to use it in some way to accentuate. I don't know, man. It, it's that's why I get interested in like what people got and why. Yeah. And, and I agree with you there. For me, there had to be some type of a connection. Um, and don't get me wrong. I, I do like the dolphins, but it's just, I, I really like our soul sisters paranormal, um, logo. So I do want to maybe at some point incorporate that. Um, I do have a small little turtle on my ankle as well. And, and that the symbolism behind that is, you know, the strength and perseverance. And, uh, so that's, that's why I got those two, but our turtles um, strong. I'm sorry. Are turtles strong or do you just mm -hmm. mean in shell in reference to the shell? Well, in reference to the shell and just, you know, longevity and perseverance ah. and, and, and strength. So, yeah. 
yeah, that's that's kind of what my representation of it means. It's just a small little, about the size of a silver dollar, I guess. But I wonder, uh, like, I think my my gut said if I want to go strength and perseverance, I'm gonna go rhino. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering, like, what would I get to rep- that? You know, that'd be like an interesting, like, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know what it would be called, but if you just took a picture of yourself, like, appropriately naked, almost like Barbie doll naked, right? So you picture Ken. <laughs> And then you get all these like personality traits and you give a kid a sticker and you're like, I want you to represent happiness. And they had to pick like a hundred out of a hundred stickers. Where would you put happiness and what represents happiness? And I want you to put fear or I want you to put strength. It'd be really interesting what different people would like associate and where they would put them. That's, that's a great experiment. Right. Uh, you should you should look into this. I'm I think so there's lazy. something there. Maybe Chris, like a therapist or something could yeah, use that. Dude, it would be a therapist, right? Like that would that would absolutely be. And then you would try to find that trend. But I'm just too lazy. And if I couldn't monetize it, I'm not really trying to help the world. You there know? you go. You know, <laughs> it all comes back to Sean. <laughs> it's the ego. That's going to be the tattoo. It's just going to be a bunch of arrows pointing to wherever I feel my ego is. <laughs> there you go. I love it. <laughs> I think we found it, Sean. <laughs> We've discovered, and it's thanks to your therapy. Oh, well, good. I'm glad. You know, I, I feel accomplished today, so I'm glad I could help you out there. Were you always? So I'm. I've not been. I know I'm a cancer, but I've not gotten into the astronomy aspects. And I've spoken to a bunch of people and they go real into like the twin flames, the soul groups, the reincarnation. And it's, it's very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I grew up um, Catholic Christian, you know, so I, I know Catholic and Christian aren't the same, but you know, Jesus is your savior kind of a thing. And now you're right. getting into this spirit and this purpose and this life lesson. And then the astrology mm-hmm. and the tones and everything I've been learning about it. I'm amazed at how many people are, like it, it's a serious form of spiritual strength for them. So I guess it, I'm wondering how much it was for you back then. Is it still? It wasn't so much a, a sense of spiritual strength. Uh, I mean, you know, like I said, for us, we're, we're Christian. We were raised in the Christian faith. Um, but our parents also allowed us the opportunity to pick what we believe really. Um, so it wasn't like, uh, we came from a, a family of Bible thumpers, if you will. It was right. basically, you know, we believe in God. Uh, you have the ability and, and the mind to make up your own decisions about what you, what you want to believe. Um, and, and so for us, you know, the, the, the Pisces aspect, it came in a little bit. I mean, it wasn't a driving force in my life. Um, it, it's just like, you know, every now and then it's like, Oh, I feel that way because I'm a Pisces, you know, right? we're, we're, yeah, it's almost empathic. Like a... we're just, just something like that yeah um, it reinforces so- it almost can give people it's like a tribalism of sorts where it's like mm-hmm. okay i'm not just a dick i'm a cancer yeah, exactly. I'm so every now and then I'll use that as an excuse. You know, I'm 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 not weepy. I'm a Pisces. So I, I right. care. So, exactly. So so kind of like that. Um, you know, but it, it's always we've always had that sense of uh, again exploration, if you will. I mean, yeah. you know, we'd we'd go outside and look at the stars and wonder what's out there, and and you know, it's it, it's kind of um, in my mind, it's very uh, naive to think that we're the only the only beings in this entire universe. I mean, why would the entire universe be created just to house earth and the people on it? Um, so, you know, we've had those type of conversations and that was kind of a driving force behind some of the explorations that we've done. Um, and, and then we've, we were raised to be very strong and independent and, and really think about things and question things and why and how. And, and, uh, I think that really leads to us being what I consider good paranormal investigators, right. you know, because we do go in I, the first thing, like I said before, the, the first 
first thing that we do is we try to go in and debunk, uh, you know, to see if there's any environmental factors that are causing some of these quote unquote paranormal claims. Uh, you know, one example is we went to a business that, that was convinced that they had spirit activity. It was, it was a new business. They had just opened and you know, they called us in and said, you know, we're, we're possessed. We've got this thing. It's messing with our night vision video cameras. It keeps blinking. We keep seeing things. And so we went in and we did an investigation, really didn't feel or find anything. And, uh, <laughs> and well, close. But what we did was, you know, we set up again. We set up those night vision video cameras, and um, so when the next day when we went and collected them, I said, "Okay, did your did your cameras alarm?" And they're like, "Yes, it alarmed this, 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 and this time." And so I went back and looked at our cameras at those exact same times, and what we were finding was the the way that the business was positioned. It had a, a large glass storefront, and it was by a uh, a turn lane. So when the cars oh. would turn to the left, the headlight would hit this mirror and bounce into the night vision video camera and essentially turn it off and then turn it back on. Right. And so I said, move the mirror or move the camera. And I think your paranormal activity, quote unquote, is it will, will diminish. And it certainly did. And we, you know, they, they haven't had anything since. So we go in with that type of a mindset. It's like um, when we go to these locations, we'll do a day tour beforehand and we'll look very closely at is there are there street lights is there cars uh, are there cars uh, is there a, a, a airplane pattern where airplanes fly over that could cause the noise um you know is there any settling or shifting and we've we take very copious notes on what the actual location looks like before we do the investigation so then if we catch something on audio or video we can say well that was the dog barking right. or that was this or that was that. Um, and another thing that we do is we all wear body cameras. So I have a timestamp of where everybody is in the location at a certain time. Okay. So if I capture something on audio or video, I can go back and say, okay, where was Jenny? Where was Michelle? And we cross-reference that, and we really try to say it was something else before we say it's unexplained. Now, and if it's too personal, you can um, you don't have to answer anything. But it, it's not like a super personal question. So the car turn lane place, do you hit them with like a $600 bill afterwards? And you're like, Hey man, you need to adjust your mirror three degrees to the right, or you can move the camera six inches. I'll take my thousand dollars. Thank you, sir. Uh, no, we do not charge for any investigations that we do. Stop. Uh, because that's, that's not that's not something that we do. Um, you know, we feel that we're doing this again as it's as, as in the spirit of exploration of of really trying to find some answers um, for our clients, and so we don't charge. Um, and, and all everything that we do is self funded. Wow, those lawyers must be making great money, man. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to, oh, oh, you know, or I may have won the lottery, but, uh, no, I haven't, but, uh, maybe someday. Uh, but you know, it, it is, it's uh, like I said, it's just something that for us is we're so passionate about yeah. it that, you know, we budget for this, we budget for the travel, we budget for, you know, getting into these locations to some extent. And honestly, and, if it's like your hobby, what's the difference between that and like going on a scrapbooking retreat, right. Or like a, yeah. a vacation to Cabo. You know? Yeah, I mean, if that's if that's what you're into, um, for us, we happen to be into visiting historic locations and and seeing seeing if there's anything behind the paranormal claims. Um, and you know, it, like I said, it's it's something that we decided to do as a team. And the fact that I can do it with my sisters is is very rewarding because yeah. we all live in different parts of the country. So to be able to get together four or five times a year and do these large scale investigations, um, it's a very cool experience. Like I said, we've 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 been in lighthouses and forts and 
Revolutionary War forts and the Velisca Axe Murder House and lunatic asylums. And, you know, not many people can say that they've done that. And to be able to do that and do it with my sisters, who are my best friends, is is very rewarding for me. All right. I have two things. And I'm trying to get better as a podcast host, which taking notes, because I have no like pre, preordained or preconceived um, notions or questions. But I, you had mentioned something um, about, uh, you mentioned a couple of times, about the Christian faith. And I do know in the Bible there are spirits. Spirits do come back. They are conjured in some sense. But it's, I believe, I'm not talking out of turn, when the Bible is like, does not present spirits in a happy way. I, I can't remember the one spirit that went, like, came out of the fire and was like, why do you disturb me? And was very perturbed. Was it, was it Saul? Uh, honestly, I, I can't remember that story. It was story. super Old um, Testament. It was super Old Testament. Yeah. I don't believe there are any spiritual summonings aside from Christ summoning the Spirit of God in the New Testament. So, but, and, and, go ahead. and so, and 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 to your question, I, and I kind of I think I know where your head's going with this, and we do get this question a lot. Um, it, how do I reconcile the Christian faith with being a paranormal investigator? And for me, it's actually strengthened my faith. Um, you know, it, in the Bible, the, when when Christ comes back um, before he ascends, the the disciples thought he was a ghost. They have to have a frame of reference um, right. that that. And so, in my mind, they've they already know ghost stories have already been in existence. They know what a ghost is because they thought Jesus was one. Right. So they had to start with a frame of reference of some point. And so for me, that, that is, you know, kind of telling that there are ghosts, there are ghost stories that have been, um, you know, referenced throughout history, including biblical times. Yeah. No, uh, I was thinking more like I always, and maybe I just didn't pay enough attention when I was in church, but I always <laughs> took, man, if you're going after spirits, that's actually anti-Bible. That's mm-hmm. going against the, you are not to deal in that realm. You are a person. You are not a spirit. Don't mess with that spirit. Don't go seeking them. So mm-hmm. I guess I was wondering if there's like a conflict between any like pastors or even family members who are deeply religious. Not, not really. Um, the, the, the people that we spoke to, and we actually have a minister in our family. Oh, um, no and yeah, we do. And she's an ordained minister. And, uh, you know, in, in speaking her to her about this, you know, she, she had some trepidation at first, but when we started explaining what we do and how we do it, you know, now she's fascinated. Um, and, and it does lend to that, again, that spirit of exploration. And especially when it, because, um, my Nana and granddaddy were her parents. So when I told her the story about granddaddy and, and showed her the evidence that we captured, you know, again, I think we're allowed to see some of this. We're allowed to, because we go in with the mindset of how we go into it, I think we're not so much being rewarded. That's not the right term, but that's the only one I can come up with right now. We're allowed to, to interact with these spirits for some reason, yeah, well, whether it's, it's like, to tell their story. I'm ahead. sorry. And it, it, I've interrupted you a couple of times now. I'm sorry. No, no, and our fine. connection's pretty good and we actually don't have too bad of a lag, but we cannot see each other. So it, it's hard to interject, but I, and by me apologizing, I lost the word that I was going to talk about. Oh, your spirit is pure. It seems like you're going in with a pure spirit, which is why you're feeling like you're rewarded because mm-hmm. they respect – it's almost like the spirits respect your spirit and authenticity. And, and I hope that's the case because that is that is legitimately why we go. Um, I, I don't know if – I guess pure would be a good word. I, it, it's a pure intention. intention. I don't know yeah. a pure spirit, but a, yes, a definitely pure sinners. intention um, <laughs> <laughs> because we're, we're not – 
again, we don't go in this with this bravado. We don't go in to try to to antagonize, um, man. And that's probably antagonize. And exactly. that, and that's probably the I thinking back now and just because I hadn't thought about it in a while, but that's probably when the spirits, because then you also think of those demons that like flew, Jesus told the one parable, or I guess it wasn't a parable, but didn't Jesus like get, vanish, vanish spirits like out of pigs and the pigs like jump over mm-hmm. the cliff and stuff like that. So yeah. like there's always been this battle of these spirits. And when people try to use and manipulate the spirit world, maybe that's mm-hmm. more like the Christian, what are you doing, man? You don't have, you don't have the power or authority to control these spirits. You're, you're absolutely right. And if you go into the mindset that all spirits are demons, yeah. then you would, then you would have that conflict, but yeah, I don't do that. Yeah. I don't, I don't do that. I don't consider all spirits demons. I don't think that we're dealing with what the, the, the spirits and the entities that we've communicated with, I don't think are demonic. Um, and, and so if, if you're going in thinking that they are all demonic, then yeah, there would definitely be a conflict between that and and the Christian faith. But are there demons? Yes. I do think there are demons because there's good and evil in the world. Um, I, I think we, there are, there are instances where that evil manifests itself as some type of a demonic entity. And, and in that case, honestly, I don't deal with it. I, I call in somebody who's trained um, or is is versed enough or educated enough to deal with that. Um, and it's not something that we dabble in. Again, back to the Ouija boards. We don't use Ouija boards yeah. because of the negative connotation that comes with it. That has been, you know, either through media or you know whatever the negative connotation that's been dealt with for for Ouija boards. So we don't deal with it. Um, we don't we don't mess with that. And I think it's the same. Same how we investigate our, our, our approach our investigations. It, um, it's always messed with me just as a confession. Mm-hmm. Like what is with the spelling of the Ouija board? <laughs> how, do, how do we get that phonetically? I, you know, the story that I've heard is that the, the person who invented it um, asked for a word and that's the first thing that, that, that the, 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 um, the palette had moved to. I, I honestly don't know. The enunciation um, is that even correct? And again, I'm like I'm I'm a reading. I, I teach reading. I don't know. How, I'm. I think our employer, I believe, passed a new um, policy about identification with them. So I think the most I can say is like I do teach reading, and like <laughs> I, I just I look at that word all the time, and I'm like. I don't know how to help you, kid. Like kids are phonetically like, hey, how, how, do, how do you spell Ouija board? I want to put it in there. And I'm like, it's like psychology with a P or tsunami with a T. They they can't wrap their heads around it. But like Ouija with a O, isn't it an O? I'm like, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know how to explain it. You just have to accept it. Just just accept it and go on. It's one of those things, yeah. just smile and nod and, and move on. Because yeah. <laughs> no, I've used Ouija and then I sit here and I'm like in my head and I always think of like how to like spell those odd words. And I'm just like, yeah, what the fuck Ouija? Who did that? Who marketed that? Um, yeah. Do you, so when you mentioned like you don't mess with the demons, do you walk into a situation and your like spirit gets overwhelmed or people will call you saying the word demon or they have specific words where you're like, we don't deal with the behaviors you're describing. We can refer you. No, for most of the time when somebody calls us or emails us, it's like, um, you know, don't think I'm crazy, but I think there's something going on in my house. I'm scared. Uh, you know, can you come and look at it? Um, and, and, and that's what we do. So we'll go in and we'll do research of the house. We'll do research of the family and, and try to figure out what's going on. Um, if we go into the house or the location of the business and it feels to us like 
it's a heavy or demonic presence. Um, we'll still do the investigation. You know, we, we, we won't provoke or anything like that. We'll still do the investigation um, and try to come up with some answers. And then it, then we'll call in somebody that is more of an expert, a priest or a demonologist. Can you and describe? Say, you know, and, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God, I suck. I suck at no, cutting no, you're you great, off you're now. You're great. But like when you say key things, I and it's so hard for me to relate. Um, the heavy presence. Mm-hmm. Can you describe it at all, or is it just one of those six sense, like almost like a mother would feel like their child is in danger, and all of a sudden they start checking on them, and they're like, Jesus, you're about to touch a stove. <laughs> you know? I, I, for for me personally, and I don't know how everybody else experiences it. For me personally, um, and, and I can say this because there is one um, room at Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary that is supposed to have a, a, a demonic entity in it. And when I approach that room, it's almost like it. it this kind of sounds weird, but it's like the dark gets darker, um, mm. the, and meaning the night. It's like the dark gets darker, and it's just it's it. it, it it's one of those where your kind of your hair kind of stands up on the back of your neck and it's just, it feels different. Um, and it, like I said, in those cases, if we're at a commercial location like that, we'll just, we'll walk in, we'll put a voice recorder down and say, this is your space. We're going to respect that because we've got other places that we can investigate on this location. Um, <clears throat> when we go into a, a residential that has that feeling, you know, like I said, we'll still do the investigation. We'll try to communicate and figure out what's going on. Um, and if we determine that it is, um, what we would consider dark or demonic, then we'll call in somebody. Um, there are other instances where you kind of get that same feeling, but it's more, um, of a, you know, now that I'm acknowledged and and somebody wants to tell my story, um, I'm I'm not, I'm not revealing myself as a demon, if that makes sense. Um, so we've had it. So so just for in general terms, say somebody comes to me and say, has has said, uh, you know, I think my house is haunted. The very first thing that I'll do is I'll hand them a couple of voice recorders and I'll say, take these with you, set them up, just let them run throughout the night, ask some questions if you want, uh, and let's see if we can get anything before we go in. Let's see if we can get anything on the voice recorder. And there's a lot of times where it is, like I said, environmental, um, and they, they just want proof that they're not crazy. Um, <laughs> they, but then we have those people that are like, well, it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't, it's just startling to me or scary to me, in which case we'll go in and we'll say, okay, you can either ask the spirit to leave because this is not their space anymore, or you can learn to live with it and say, you know, you can live in this space with me, but you're not to touch me. Um, so we just have different conversations with the homeowner or the business owner about what they would like to do. Um, you know, there are people that will go in and will say what we do, cleanse the house. Um, so they'll take sage and some prayers and they'll, they'll cleanse the house. Um, so we've been successful with that a couple of times. So it really is dependent on what the homeowner wants to do because they're the owners. They're, they're right. the ones that live in the space, not me. What's the, <clears throat> what's the connection with Sage? Is that like a biblical thing or? No, it, it's more like a, a spiritual thing. Um, not so much biblical, but more spiritual. I don't want to say witchcraft, but but along those same veins, but it's not just in the, the witchcraft experience. Um, so basically it's just a cleansing. It's supposed to be a, a, a cleansing scent, a cleansing power, if you will. Um, so the, the cleansing, the, the cleansings that, that I've been to, essentially you open up all the windows, you light the sage, you say a prayer. Um, and you, you essentially just sage the house. You let the smoke just kind of envelop the house inside. And that's just supposed to be a cleansing energy removing, uh, type of situation. Like a and, reverse flea bomb. <laughs> 
That's like gonna smoke exactly. you out, bitch. Go. That's that's, exa- that's, a, that's a great analogy. That's exactly what it looks like. Okay. Uh, and, and so well, you know, it, it is it is successful um, in in a lot of instances. So again, it really just goes back to the mindset of the homeowner or the business owner yeah. and and what they want to deal with and how long they want to deal with it. It's in a, a lot of cases, it's like you know, if, if some they'll figure out it's their grandmother, um, and they're fine with with living with grandma or just saying grandma you need to move on yeah right Uh, so that that would be the that would be the ultimate you bring them over you sage the spirit leaves and then you listen to the voice recorder the next day and it's your grandmother being like i just want to protect you and you like (laughs) cast your spirit out of the house (laughs) or you know i just want to let you know that i'm okay uh you know there's some there's some instances where there's a a quote-unquote haunting and it's just for a day or two just after somebody has passed just to Mm. let them know that hey i'm okay so so it's really it's hard to say this is exactly what we do every time because yeah. each scenario is different. Right. Yeah. It, it seems very, well, cause if, if you go with it, spirits are individuals or former individuals yep. that were alive. So every individual is by definition an individual. individual. <laughs> so there's not like a set standard operating procedure of, Oh, according to our flow chart, you are on blank step. Like that, that makes, <laughs> you know, like that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Something that I've been surprised about that you've mentioned a couple times is that these spirits are seem very respectful to um, property rights in the living world. <laughs> I, it, well, it's funny, like I joke, but I'm kind of like serious. Like it's it's funny that like a spirit would respect if you move into a house and you're like, this is my space now. You need to leave. Mm-hmm. Like that's an actual method where mm-hmm. I, I believe like I'm maybe I'm a proponent of squatters rights. And like they were there <laughs> first kind of a thing. I don't know. It's just something I've been thinking about when you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we do get that a lot. Uh, and there, I mean, there are some instances where you, you try to sage the house or you tell them to leave and it goes for a little bit and then comes right back. Um, uh, you know, it, again, it just, there is no, like we said before, set standard. Right. So in that case, you call somebody, uh, maybe go a step up and call a priest and we'd use some holy water or something like that. Um, so there, there is no set answer. There is no set method that works 100% of the time. But what we found, um, for our clients that we've dealt with is that, yeah, you, you essentially say, these are the boundaries. Um, right. you know, you, you, you can't touch me and, and this is my house. Now you need to leave, you need to ascend or go somewhere else. And for the most part that has been successful for the clients that we've had. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's again, man, I just, I don't know. I, it speaking to you, it's pretty clear how manipulated might be the right word. Um, movies and media mm-hmm. has made me towards this realm. Toward, towards this thought process. Cause literally every question I'm asking in my head, like I, I, I've bit my tongue 12 times about ghostbuster references, <laughs> right? Like, like seriously, but then that goes, but that goes against your whole like professionalism thing. Right. And you're doing it in very calculated scientific way. And mm-hmm. I believe most people would be like me with their only experience referencing Blair Witch Project type stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we run into a lot, right? you know, and, and that's why I said before, you know, the, the, the media or media television shows yeah. with, with regard to paranormal have, have done a lot for the paranormal community in the fact that it brings exposure, right. but it's a hindrance because people want an hour 
solution. You know, they, they want to say, uh, you know, every paranormal show you watch is an hour long. And typically the timeline is you've got 15 minutes of, of history and setup. You've got 15 minutes of an interview or uh, of an investigation. You've got 15 minutes of them going through their evidence and then 15 minutes of them telling the homeowner what's going on. So it's, it's wrapped in this very neat package and, and they have to sensationalize it to get the audience. You know, yeah. that's, that is, so outside the realm of what we do. I mean, when we go to these locations, we're in a locations from, from, you know, eight, 10, 12, 24 hours. Um, and then we go back and we collect all of our equipment and we're sitting there and listening and watching audio. And it's a very grueling process. Um, and you know, we, we go, we talk to each other about, Hey, do you, do you hear this? Do you see this? And so, and then we have to do all of the, uh, the editing of the, the video production and all of that. So it's a long process for us. Yeah. It's not, not this 15, 20 minute deal that is portrayed in Hollywood. Um, so that in my mind, that has been the disservice to what we do. Um, yeah, and, and then also, it, well, it's just not as sexy, right? It, it doesn't exactly. sell science. It's very hard for science to sell on its own. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I said before, we're not a team that runs out. Uh, you know, I don't think I know none of us have, have screamed on an investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we've done the startle thing, uh, like, uh, Holy shit. What was that? Um, and you know, every now and then we'll see a shadow is like, Whoa. Um, but you know, you, a lot of the, the paranormal shows that you watch, I mean, their intro, right. Is them running out of a building yeah. or screaming or something like that. And that's really, it's not what we do. So if, if you're looking for some action packed, we're always running around, uh, the location, uh, type of situation, then, then we're probably not a good YouTube series for you to watch because that's not what we do. What we want to do is give you a very, um, a very distinct historical, um, uh, representation of the location, maybe give you some facts that you didn't know about that would make you interested in visiting that location. We'll tell you how we set up. And, and I think it's important to, to tell you how we, set up because you know i'll tell you how many investigators we had that night there were no children there were no men and i think it's very important to set that up so when we show you the evidence you know okay wow there's no men why are we hearing a man talking on this voice recorder so to your point right i I, soul sisters may not be the sexiest uh web series out there but i feel that we offer a good product in the fact that we give you the historical perspective and then bring in the, the paranormal um evidence that we've captured yeah, no, and I wasn't, and I wasn't, um, I don't know, I wasn't really referring just to Soul Sisters. I guess it was more like my mentality that mm-hmm. I'm discovering. It's almost like a self-discovery of like paranormal bias based <laughs> and silliness, like based on the media. Like you just have all these hyperbolic feelings towards ghosts and, mm-hmm. and you're like, man, it, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's been kind of enlightening. And oh, something, okay. something else that I've noticed, which, which I'm amazed by. When you mentioned going to prisons, going to the holes, lunatic asylums, mm-hmm. and then if you compare that to demons and their heavy presence, I would, maybe it's bias, but again, <laughs> lunatic asylum, I'm like, that place would be fucking full of demons. That's why they're in there. Some of those people are possessed in some sense, right? Like that would be my mentality. And it's amazing that you can go there and go to places where what people with mental issues are and be comfortable trying to have those spirits around you. That blows my mind. 
Well, and for me, anyway, like I said, I don't consider them demons. Right? I do consider them, you know, those that were, so we'll go to the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Western West Virginia. Uh, that's the one we visited and uh, had some very cool unexplained experiences there. I, I don't consider them demons. I consider them people who were institutionalized in this facility that was, you know, opened in 1864. It ran from to 1995. And it was, it was a place where it was built to only house 250 patients. But by the time of its closing, there was 2,500 patients in there crammed in to these, 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 these small rooms, little sunlight at that point. Um, and they're being treated by doctors who think lobotomies are the answer that shock therapy is the answer that cold water baths is the answer. So I don't think they're demons. I think that they are spirits who were subjected to some, some very inhumane situations and that energy it's not demonic it's negative in the fact that it's sad and it's bad but but that's what permeates the walls that's what's encompassed in the insane asylums not demonic but these people that their energy was just their day was based on just horror um, That's and, a great point. So, Again, something I hadn't thought about. Like you, you think demonic as evil energy keeping a spirit mm-hmm. somewhere in a in a in an insane asylum or in a prison, but maybe mm-hmm. the experience of being in a prison just fucks with their spirits so much that they're actually just so hurt or so mm-hmm. sad that they missed out on so much life mm-hmm. that they want to stay now. Or, 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 or go ahead. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, for like Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary or West Virginia State Penitentiary or some of the jails that we visited, I, I mean, it's not a happy place. So you're going in with the mindset that it, it, it is going to be heavy. It is going to be dark, not demonic, but dark because of the experiences that the walls saw, the experiences that the prisoners had, the experiences that the 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 patients in the asylums had. And, you know, same thing with with like Villisca Axe Murder House or the Lizzie Borden House. You know, the experiences there, it, they were they were residential houses, but you know, in the case of Villisca, you've got somebody going in with an axe and murdering eight people and bludgeoning them to the death that, that you know their their heads are mashed in. So it's not a happy experience at that point. And that's what, you know, that's the walls, that's what the walls saw. That's what the, the, the energy is at the time of those murders. So, you know, like I said, I, I don't think that they're demonic. I think they're a product of what they experienced during life. It reminds me a lot of, um, people's perception over children in a classroom sometimes where you're like, that's a bad kid. And like, or maybe is the kid hurt and he's just lashing out. Oh, exactly. You know? And it's up to the teacher to find that story. And yes. I think it's the same thing for what we're doing. And and like I said before, if you watch any of our videos, the common theme is we want to tell your story yeah, and, yeah, and great... we want to get that right for you. And that, that really helps just me and my mindset about understanding your comfort in, and it, con, again, control was the wrong word to use for sure, but it's just the perspective of mm-hmm. um, almost like personifying or understanding the spirit. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me, and I couldn't write it down because there were so many syllables in the Asane Asylum, and I can barely remember how to spell the word Ouija. Um, <laughs> so what was the the Trans-Allegheny? Yes, it's the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. That was literally the name? They had mm-hmm. the word lunatic in the name? They did. They absolutely did. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> and... and and it's huge. I'm telling you, when some of these places, you know, you see them on television or you see pictures of them, but when you actually roll up on some of these locations, um, it, it, it actually is extremely intimidating sometimes just 
for the sheer size. Uh, you know, we're, we're a team of five, five females and, and, you know, we have, we do have equipment, but, um, <clears throat> you know, to cover something the size of Trans-Allegheny or uh, West Virginia State Penitentiary or Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, it, it takes a lot of manpower sometimes. So, you know, we got to go in and, and set up and do all of that. But Trans-Allegheny is a beautiful building. It, it was set up, it, the, it was, it had very um, great. It had great intentions when it was when it was created. Um, basically, the intention was that they were going to try to rehabilitate the patients that went in there through sunlight, through um, uh. a small patient count, 258. Like I said, it was built for 250. Um, a, a lot of outdoor activities, a lot of fresh air, um, and really a, a more of a one-on-one doctor-to-patient type of situation. But as more and more people were admitted, uh, you know, the the wall just started essentially just closing in on these patients, um, like I said, from 250 to 2,500 uh, in the space of its operation. Was and, there like uh, a change in leadership where all of a sudden they saw this money grab? Uh, uh, pretty much. But the, the thing that the worst thing that happened is during that time frame, um, a- any person who says I need to admit somebody that they had to admit them, that the, the, the asylum had to admit them. So for example, a husband who is tired of his wife could just say, well, my wife said a curse word. I think that she needs to be in this asylum and oh they would God. have to take her. They'd have to admit her. And the problem was only the husband could get her out. So of course the husband doesn't want the wife. So that that's why, that's why a lot of the asylums were overrun with women. Um, it was some basically Salem witch trial shit, man. Uh huh. Like yeah, just exactly. an accusation. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they have a whole list of things that a person could be admitted for. Uh, you know, from from cussing to reading the wrong books to a whole bunch of. There's a whole list. Um, and and so that that was really what happened. You have all of these people that were being admitted. They had to be taken in. Um, and it just, and then, then, but you did have legitimate people that had mental issues. And in those cases, you know, the doctors, they were, like I said, trying lobotomies, trying shock therapy treatments, uh, cold water baths. And you can go, and when you go into the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum now, you, you walk down into these procedure rooms. You know, you're there where they uh, perform lobotomies. You're there where the, the shock treatment tubs were. Um, and again, to me, they're not demonic spirits. They're just spirits who were in agony. Yeah. And so what did you come away with from the, and I just want to see if I can nail it, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. (laughs) It was intense. Um, We actually, that we, if you watch any of our videos, I actually put together a top 10 of of the most compelling evidence that we found so far. And um, there was, uh, we were in the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum and when we go to some of these locations, some of them will have a volunteer on staff just for security purposes. So that night there was, there was another female and we were, she was kind of giving us a tour. So we were, we had set up our equipment and we were down at the end of one and one end of these hallways and we're all standing there. Everybody on the property is in this, this circle talking about where we set up equipment. And from down the other end of the hallway just came this blood curling scream. Oh no. we all heard it. It was captured on every piece of equipment that we had. Um, and it was like, what the hell was that? And you can hear us say, I feel like that was a woman screaming. And it it was, it was, and we can't explain it again. You've got this large, the cavernous building and we cannot explain where the scream came from. 
And then um, we captured a couple instances of children's voices uh, because children, because there were so many women that were admitted into this, some of them were pregnant when they were admitted. Um, so they had kids inside the insane asylum and the kids grew up and, and lived within the walls of the asylum. So they actually had a kid's ward. You're and kidding so- me. <clears throat> no, so there's there's actually reports of children's spirit activity there, and we were able to capture that. We captured several EVPs, um, and there was one uh, instance where we were all up in the room of a child by the name of Emily who's supposed to inhabit the, the room, and um, we had a couple of flashlights set up. And we had a flashlight and oh, just a, a mag light that has a twist top um, to turn on. We had our K2 meter and we had a balloon on the windowsill and it's completely dark. And we said, you know, if you're here, can you turn the flashlight on? The flashlight turned on. Stop. The, K, the K2 went off and the balloon started moving at the same time. Stop, dude. Stop. Stop. <laughs> the flashlight, like mm-hmm. you're, you're not holding this flashlight or are uh-huh. you holding the flashlight? No, the flashlight is sitting up on the windowsill and we're all sitting on the floor. Stop. Mm-hmm. And there's video of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, if I yeah. was a good, if, if I was as thorough as you and your company, I would have watched this video and I would have known and asked questions about this. <laughs> oh my God. I have to see this thing. Jeepers. Yeah. Now you gotta go. I'll send you the link. Um, but it's on our, our YouTube channel under soul sisters paranormal. Um, but yeah, it's, it's there. And like I said, we captured a few EVPs there as well. So that was pretty interesting. Um, and, and what we, again, what we really try to do when we go to these locations is like I said, we have the voice recorder, we have the night vision video cameras, and we also have other pieces of equipment that we use. But if, if I capture an EVP, that's cool. If I see a, an apparition, that's cool. But what I really want to do is try to build a case by having different piece of, pieces of equipment activated at different times because they're right. all designed to measure different things. So in that instance, when I had the flashlight going off, when I had the K2 meter going off, knowing there's no electric in the, house, in the building, and the balloon moving at the same time, mm. that is very compelling. That just is building my case that there's something unexplainable going on in this room. And, uh, so that was a very cool experience for us that night. What is, and am I hearing it right? EDP as in echo Uh, Delta Peru? No, uh, EVP as in Victor, Victor, uh, echo Victor. What is Uh, that? And that stands for electronic voice phenomena. Oh, that's the Yeah. So it's basically either a voice that is captured on some pieces of of equipment that either we hear in the moment or we don't. So for example, when we were at the exchange hotel and we caught the kid and the old man, that's an EVP that is, that we never heard in the moment, but was captured on our voice recorder. The scream at Trans Allegheny was an EVP that we all heard and we also captured. So it just stands for electronic voice phenomena. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is there like um like a scientific? I'm almost picturing now like when you speak, you see the sound waves like going up and down or whatnot. Is there um the same pattern? Like, have you tried to replicate the scream to like mm-hmm. match whatever the vocal range is and stuff like that? Uh, I do have a program that I can put that audio into, and you can see the sound waves. Um, but in full disclosure, when we do our our, our video and edit uh, our video and audio review, I essentially just take that voice recorder, put my earphones into it and push play. So Mm -hmm. there's no manipulation of any of our audio. Um, If I find something, then I mark that, I clip it, I put it onto the laptop, I clip it, and then I'll put it into our software to see if we have any sound waves or anything like that. But none of our audio is ever, ever manipulated. Oh no, I wasn't, I wasn't coming out of that. I know, I know, I'm just kind of explaining. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, I know you, I know you weren't 
being accusatory or anything like that. I'm just kind of explaining. So when, to answer your question, when I put that on the, um, the software, in some cases, yes, you'll see the sound waves, the, the, um, the exchange hotel EVPs definitely had sound waves. Like, a like just if, if I put my voice in and I put the guy's voice in or the child's voice in, I'd see the same, same sound waves. Yeah. See, that's interesting to me too, because I wonder, and we won't know this for like, um, whatever, another hundred years, but now with so much vocal recording, say in a hundred years, would we be able almost like a digital fingerprint? So when you pass and your spirit stays here mm-hmm. and your great, 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 great grandnephew is a, is a paranormal investigator and hears you speak, he most likely would be able to match your voice to mm-hmm. your voice. Digitally. Oh yeah, voice uh, voice recognition. Obviously, that go back goes back to biometrics. Voice recognition is absolutely a thing, and I would love if we had a sample of you know a Civil War soldier or right? you know uh, Jeremiah from from uh, the Exchange Hotel. I would love to compare that. I think that'd be amazing. That's got to be like uh, but, where where it's kind of going, right? And then that's like I would twenty love years, that. thirty years. Yeah, that would be a, a, a phenomenal um, tool to be able to use. Absolutely, uh, but the problem is you have to have that that first voice. Right. Um, you know, maybe as as it, like you said, when I become a ghost and we have this recording, somebody could could pair it up for sure. But you know, for now, I I uh, man, that is definitely something to think about because I would love to be able to do that. Yeah, it would it would be very interesting to. Um hear counter arguments if you present something like that. And it, and part of what made me think about this is when you were talking about with airport security and identification, facial recognition and whatnot, trying to give that absolute virtual evidence, mm-hmm. right? Which should be, should be more irrefutable than witness accounts, right? Like even if you think about a court case, typically yeah. people believe witnesses, but like it's the fingerprint that really, I believe, seals the deal for the most for most people. It's tangible oh, yeah. evidence. It's not. There's no bias to consider. It's just science, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, and that would be a very cool right? technique to be able to use in, in paranormal activity Man. or paranormal research. Yeah, that um, that has me excited to be old and sitting there <laughs> and like be like seeing like 40 years, you know, a ghost from like the 1920s in movies or whatever when when like mm-hmm. people really started recording to see what would happen um if their spirits are around. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that, that is amazing because it would be pretty much, like you said, irrefutable. And so for us, that is one of the things that we do run across now. It's like, you know, I present this evidence and people say, well, I don't believe it. And that's fine. You know, for us, we're not trying to convince anybody. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to convince you that these places are haunted. I'm not trying to convince you that, you know, spirits exist. Uh, my job that I feel what I'm trying to do is put together this historical narrative and then tell you at this time, these were unexplained things that happened when I controlled for everything else. Right. You can believe what you want. Um, but we do run across that, that cynicism, that skepticism. Um, and, and so that that's another reason for me, why it's so important to explain how we did what we did. So for example, when we were at Fort Mifflin, uh, we had a night vision video camera set up in a doorway of a casemate, which was subterranean. And this was the only way into this subterranean casemate. And it was used as a solitary confinement cell during the revolutionary war. So we put a night vision video camera in right in the threshold of the doorway. So if you were to walk into it, you have to step over the camera. We are two hours into this conversation mm-hmm. and I am still amazed that you would go to these type of places and back your way into a one way out room 
seeking spirits. Like, wh- I, I just can't get past that. I'm sorry. I can't get past it. I have to say it. I can't get past that. You know what we're going to do? Well, I'm going to have to get you on an investigation, Sean. There's that's no just, way. There's that's no flipping do. way. Do you know what I'll do? I'll be at the base camp in charge of the walkie-talkie and the 911 call. <laughs> that's as close as I'll get. Because I ain't stepping foot in there. I don't care if I'm – dude, I'm more fearful of that than I am of corona. Like I feel like I would catch a spirit before I would catch Corona. I see. See, I'm the other way. I was like, let's go, let's go hunt for some ghosts. Um, but quickly to finish the story, um, we were, uh, this was at Fort Mifflin and it was a casemate subterranean that was used as a solitary confinement cell. So we had, like I said, a, a, a stationary um, video camera, night vision video camera in the doorway and a laser grid was sitting directly beside it. And during the night when nobody was around, we were completely on the other side of the fort a shadow figure crosses in front of the laser beam and and there's no explanation for it because the laser beam was sitting just a hair above the video camera so if something were to cross in front of the laser beam the the camera would have captured it so it looks like this figure is about five and a half to six feet tall and it just walks completely across the screen and cuts off the laser grid um so when i'm when able able to present evidence like that it does make it a little bit more compelling and it's hard for people to refute that so going back to the entire conversation about the the voice analysis uh, voice analysis um you know i would love something like that to be able to say we have this equipment that can can match up these voices and this is who that was so do you have like a burner account social media wise that you use just to like fuck with all the people who call you cuckoo or crazy or say like (laughs) you're you know or like say like you're fake or something like that you have to (laughs) <laughs> and no, I don't. Uh, and, and honestly, once we really lay out our case, we have more people say, okay, all right, I, I understand that. And for those who are cynics or skeptics, um, y- you know, they, they want to debate and that's fine. I'll have a healthy debate. Um, if you call me something like you're lying or something like that, then obviously the debate has stopped. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a lot of people, like I said, once we lay out our evidence, they're more open to the possibility. And, and again, like I said before, I'm not trying to convince anybody. Right. If you want to believe that I'm I'm fake and what I'm putting out there is fake, that's fine. You know, there are hundreds of other groups that are doing this and, and you can go watch their channels. And, you know, I, I'm not trying, it's like me trying to convince you that my religion is correct. I'm not going to be able to do that. So I'm not going to be able to convince you that there's paranormal activity happening in these locations if you don't believe it. And that's not what I'm trying to do. Yeah. So I'm just putting, I'm, I'm building my case. I'm putting it out there and you can choose to believe it if you, if you want to or not. So and it for wouldn't me, even be a true belief, right? Like if you really forced someone into it, then it wouldn't even really be a belief. They have to be correct. convinced on their own. They have to feel it on their own. Correct. Absolutely. Um, so for me, going back to the naysayers or the, the people that say I'm crazy, I just I really don't engage with those people. Come on. Two two glasses wine deep on a Friday. You open <laughs> up you open up Twitter, you log on to your fifth account. And you've got like 18 people you just love poking at. So you don't poke the spirits. You just poke all these online people to get some frustration out and have fun. There are a lot of people that I would love to poke online, but, uh, (laughs) you know, trying to maintain that professional image that we created, you know, it takes six years to create your image, but six seconds to destroy it. God, that's so true. But that's why you use the burner account, man. You know, that's that's why you use the burner account. I've been, I've been, um, I've so, and that's something just doing this podcast that I've really wondered. Cause I literally, I, I do minimal research. I just kind of scroll through social media at different times of the day. I message random people. And in the back of my head, I always wonder like, is this 
person actually what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, it's something like, I'm not going to the depths of you to prove it. I just kind of accept it as face value. And I feel mm-hmm. like when most people, if, if you listen, will be like, yeah, that, that, that's a real part. Chris is Chris. Chris really mm-hmm. does this. And they'll accept that, but they won't accept like some actual evidence that's based on science of spirits. It's mm-hmm. an interesting, um, moral conundrum of like, it, again, it leads me to my why of, why? Why is it so much harder to believe that versus me putting, you'll have two pictures, you'll have a two and a half hour conversation and like, okay, yeah, we believe it, but you can't deal with electromagnetic pulses and voices <laughs> and laser beams getting disturbed and images and mm-hmm. flashlights fucking turning on. How come that's <laughs> not like, why is that not a deal sealer? You know, for me, obviously for me it is, um, but I, I do understand that it, it is... I'm, I'm, we're, we're saying that these things are happening by somebody who has died. And, you know, first of all, people have a problem with death. They don't, a lot of people don't want to talk about it. A lot of people don't want to face it, even though it's how we're all going to end up. Uh, People have an innate fear of death. And so I think a lot of people are turned off just by the subject matter. Um, And then also because nobody can ever prove it, it's not like gravity. I I can't say, you know, here's this apple, I'm going to drop it and it's going to hit the ground. Repeatable experiments. Mm-hmm, exactly. I have theories. I have hypotheses about what is going on, but I can't prove them. And, you know, for, for other paranormal investigators, it's the same thing. You know, I can go to the, the, the Ma Barker house and get this evidence and another paranormal team can go and get different evidence or no evidence. Yeah. It's not like it's going to be consistent right. like gravity. So for a lot of people, that's very hard to get, explain, you know, why, why am I getting things when somebody else isn't? And and then that, that also goes back to the credibility credibility issue. Right. Um, you know, some people can say, "Well, you're getting all this evidence because you're faking it," and you know, this guy's not getting any evidence because he's not. And it's really up to the the viewer or the listener to believe whether or not. I'm telling the truth. Um, like I said, for me, uh, I, I know what I'm putting out there. I know what I've seen. I know what I've heard. I know what I felt. And I'm putting it out there as a story. And you can choose to believe it or you 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 don't. Um, and I'm not going to try to convince you either way because I think that's a, a fruitless effort. Do you think other creatures on the earth are aware of their mortality? Like is my dog, my lab, I love my lab. Does my lab know in the back of her mind that her days are numbered? I don't think, and I'll go back from my, just from my experience with my dogs. Um, we've had golden retrievers our entire lives. Um, and we have a lot yes. of property. So our, our, our dogs, they're outside a lot. Um, and the, the few that we've had die on the property, they've always gone to a specific spot and just kind of laid down and passed away. So I don't think like in the day to day, I don't think they're romping around right now thinking I'm going to die one day. Um, but I do think when they know their time is near, um, or that the day is, is of their death is here. Um, they'll go and make themselves comfortable and just close their eyes. Yeah. Right. So that that's two kind of different things. I feel like humans are aware of their mortality way earlier Uh than most, almost any other organism. Oh, absolutely. Right. And I was reading, Mm -hmm. um, empire of the rising moon about the Comanches and their Buffalo hunters. And one thing I didn't know about Buffalo was the long range rifle was so effective in killing Buffalo because mm-hmm. they could be sitting, standing next to each other. You could shoot one in the head. The buffalo would watch it die, its friend or its mm-hmm. companion. 
if the buffalo that is alive does not see what killed that other buffalo, mm-hmm. it just keeps grazing. It mm-hmm. just stays like unshook. And I'm like, you, you think of a human, if, if you were to get shot right next to me, I am mm-hmm. most likely not going to keep eating my tiramisu at dinner. I am, <laughs> I, I am going to politely ask for the check and leave as quickly as possible. Right. And and absolutely. I mean, that's, that's one of the benefits of being human, I guess. We do have that awareness and we do have that, uh, you know, that, that sense of, of what, that there is a finality to it. So Um, I guess why I'm bringing it up is, is, so if we have that awareness and sense, mm -hmm. wouldn't that also apply to a spiritual awareness and sense, right? Where you do get these feelings and maybe you don't know why, you know, death is there, but Mm -hmm. at the same reason you'd be like, I don't know why I know spirits are there but I know it's there. I don't know when I'm going to counter it. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I almost put them in the same bucket of like, how can we kind of have this extra awareness to our mortality, but we can't accept that we have an awareness towards the spirit spirits around us. Mm-hmm. And, and you're absolutely right. That's a great thought. Um, you know, because I have run into those people that say, I don't believe in ghosts at all. I, I don't believe it. I just, uh, and, and to me, because energy cannot be created or destroyed, yeah. it has to go somewhere. Um, right. You know, if in, in my mind, once you pass, I'm going somewhere. Otherwise, if I were to think that I'm going to lay down and die and that's it, how frightening would that be? I mean, I, I would, I'd be petrified of death because that would be the end of me. Yeah. Um, but, but I, but for me, I think that there is something after this, whether we'll call it heaven because that's, you know, where our religious faith takes us. So I'll call it heaven. I do think that, that, that there is a heaven that we will go to after this. Do I think that there may be a stopping point between here and heaven? I do because I, I'm, I've found evidence of that in my mind um that there is some people that are that for some reason have not ascended so i don't think it's an an immediate thing you don't go to the next realm after you pass right immediately after if for some reason you don't choose to or you're not allowed to and um you know for me like i said before it has just really increased my awareness of the fact that there is something after this. And I don't know why everybody doesn't have it. Maybe they're not going out and seeking it, but for me, it's, it's, it's just something that I've, I've kind of always, I've always had in the back of my mind as, as knowing that there's, there's spirits or ghosts, if you will. And to be able to really put some compelling evidence forward to validate some of those beliefs to me is pretty exciting. Yeah, no, it's neat, man. It, it's really neat because I've never spoken to any, um, again, just seeing videos, seeing movies, but I've never spoke, spoken to anyone who actually digs into the nitty gritty of the research and going to these places um, mm-hmm. that have large spiritual presence. You mm-hmm. know? So it's been, it has, it has been very um, interesting and insightful to me. And good. Chris, in, in the effort, and I wish, honestly, I should have asked you to start at five because I could have gone four hours. Um, <laughs> I have a hard um, deadline that I have to get to. So I'd like to end the podcast with this. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you, because I've gotten this habit of asking, do you know how the podcast ends? I don't. Yes. So now what's going to happen is you're going to feel extreme pressure and anxiety to perform. Okay. Because <laughs> everyone does, but it's really okay. simple. Um, so get ready to tell a story. And right. can I get... Your best first for last. We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. 
I'd say my best first was our first investigation at the Ma Barker house. Um, and that was first for a couple of reasons because we were, that was the first time we were in the house and we were the first paranormal team allowed to go into the house. And again, this was a house that's located in Oklahoma, Florida. And uh, it was the site of the 1935 shootout between the FBI and the Barker Carpus gang. And so for me to be able to be the first investigative team to go in there and actually find what I feel is very very compelling, unexplainable evidence. Um, that is my best first. Did I, and I want you to tell a story, but I feel like you probably were in the middle of telling me one at the Ma Barker and I cut you off because I'm looking, I don't think I let you get into that. We, 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 we delved into it a little yeah, bit Black with the spirit Burn, box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we delved into it a little bit with the spirit box, but um, you know, like I said, this yeah. was the shootout between the the FBI and the Ma Barker gang. And it was, it is still the longest shootout in FBI history. It lasted over four and a half hours and over 2000 rounds were fired between the two. Um, so inside the house were Ma Barker and her son, Fred, uh, part of the, again, the Barker Carpus gang, which was the most ruthless gang in the 1920s and the 1930s. And so the FBI tracked them down to this house, which they had been renting. Uh, they rented it in 1934. The shootout was in January 16th of 1935. Um, so they, there was a shootout. Uh, the uh, Ma and Fred were killed, and uh, the house it was actually a vacation home of this family, <laughs> and they maintained that vacation home after the shootout. They maintained it as it was the day of the shootout. So currently, you walk in and there's bullet holes um, through the walls. There are <laughs> there are rocking chairs and and couches and chair backs that have bullet holes in them, and that you can line up um, and put them in in front of the walls and and find out where those bullets came through. So it's a fascinating. Oh location. Yeah, How did you get access to that? So the family still owns it? Well, they owned it up until 2016 when they decided that they wanted to sell the land in the house. Um, the, the owner who purchased it did not want the house. He was going to demolish it. I bet. So, I, I fucking so, would too. <laughs> so actually, Marion County, Florida actually said, uh, you know, we will take the house. So what they did is they put it on a barge and they floated it across Lake Weir. They floated it two and a half miles across the lake and they put it in the Carney Island Recreation um, Park in, uh, in Marion County. And so they set it on about 40 acres of, of land, of vacant land that they had. And right now it's sitting vacant. There's no power to it or anything like that. They are trying to raise funds to make it into a museum. Um, but right now, obviously with, with what's going on, they have, there's not a lot of people who can access it right now. Um, So what, what I did was because I'm from the area, I went to Marion County after they moved it. And I said, will you please, this is what I do. This is who I am. Will you please, will you please allow my team to be the first to investigate it? And they said, sure. They were very accommodating, uh, very willing to let us in and give us access. And so we went in and actually did a two part investigation. The first part was actually on the anniversary of the shootout. And we captured some very compelling evidence there. And then we went back a week later and actually did a full scale investigation and again, found some very compelling evidence uh, to indicate that the spirits of Ma and Fred Barker, we believe, are still in the house. And, and uh, so that was what that was, was the evidence person. aside from the because and that's exactly what happened. I got question about that, and it's amazing how conversations go that way, right? Like you were telling me about Ma Barker, I asked a question about Spirit Box, and then literally an hour and forty five minutes later, we're back to it. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, what um, else did you find? 
Uh, well, aside from that spirit box conversation, we had another one, and part uh, a member of the gang was named Alvin Carpus, and he was never in the house, but he was very uh, instrumental in the gang. But uh, so we were again doing that spirit box, and I said, "Alvin, are you here?" And the spirit box said, "Alvin Carpus." I never said oh. the last name Carpus. I just said Alvin. So the spirit box said Alvin Carpus. And then we had several EVPs that we captured that night. And we also have another piece of equipment called a REM pod. And what it does is, is it measures electromagnetic energy similar to the K2, but it also has an audible alarm. So when, uh, uh an, when it senses energy anywhere from a, from a, a 30, like a one foot radius, um, it will alarm. Huh. And so we're actually having, a, a, essentially a dialogue saying, Fred, if you're here, can you set off the REM pod? The REM pod alarmed. Were you killed in this room? The REM pod alarmed. Is Ma here? The REM pod alarmed. Um, so like I said before with the K2, if there's energy in the house, which there's not, if there's power to the house, the 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 alarm would stay constant. So if I put the REM pod on a microwave, uh, the alarm would be a constant alarm. Right. But because it, it's being manipulated by an energy that I, I don't know where it's coming from the back and forth that we had was very compelling to me so again that would be my my best first i bet dude the guts like i cannot get over the bravado and maybe (laughs) bravado is the wrong word on the anniversary of the shooting Mm -hmm. that you know that really leads to the question does do the spirits abide in time so if they Mm -hmm. abide in location because clearly they wanted to stay with the house not the land then like but you think of eternity what is an eternity? I thought in like its meaning, like timeless. It just goes on, right? Time doesn't matter in eternity. But right. the spirits would actually care about an anniversary is an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in a lot of places, like you know, places where murders happened, uh, the anniversary for paranormal investigators, the anniversary of that date is 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 kind of a compelling date. And so, yeah, we 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 researched it. We wanted to be there on the anniversary of the shootout. Um, and that night, what we did is so the shootout happened on January sixteenth, and it started about five thirty in the morning, um, and that was in nineteen thirty five. So on January fifteenth of last year, we put all of our equipment, stationary equipment, in the house, and we left it. We left and left all of that equipment running, oh. and it encompassed the time um, that that this shootout would have happened eighty four years prior. So uh, that for me, I wanted to do that that way because I wanted to see if there was any residual um, hauntings in the house. Right. And we got an intelligent. We got a couple of intelligent responses in that there was a male voice saying "Get out!" <laughs> Again, nobody's in the house. And then um, at about the approximate time the shootout would have happened, one of our voice or one of our cameras caught two EVPs. Um, one, the first one says "Freddie." The second one says, yeah, ma. And the the first one again says, get ready. So for me, I think that's, for me, that's a residual and that's something that's going to happen. It's like a blip in time. I do believe that that's what was said before the shootout happened. Um, and, and that is something that's a residual haunting. It's something that's kind of in the air, if you will, like that record that we talked about. Yeah. yeah, Right. So if, and I'm sorry, because uh, I was just picturing the story in my mind. Did you say you did that this past year, or have you been back to see if it is residual, like a timestamp? 
Uh, it was it was in uh, 2019 was the when we did the investigation, and I actually because I'm so fascinated with the house, I became a volunteer and a docent at the house. Oh. So I'm I'm there frequently. Um, until COVID hit, I was giving tours, you know, twice a week at the house. Oh um, so I'm I'm there quite frequently, and I've had you know other instances. I'll take a voice recorder in, and I'll just sit in there, and I've had other instances as well of of hearing voices, uh, catching them on the voice recorder. Um, you know, we heard footsteps that first night. So I do hear, hear those. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it, to me, I love the house. I love the history behind it. Um, it, it's just a very cool place to be. Cause you do have that feeling of stepping back into 1935. Cause the furniture was the furniture that was there during the shoot, the shootout. You still have the bullet holes. So it's a very cool place for me to be actually. Man, were they tipped off? No. So, um, so what happened was, like I said, in 1934, they rented the house because J. Edgar Hoover was pretty hot on their heels of the gang. So the gang had several members, but Ma and her one son, Freddie, came down to Florida. And uh, so they rented the house in 1934, in, in November of 1934. And uh, J. Edgar Hoover caught her other son in Chicago. And as the FBI was rifling through his files and his paperwork, he found a letter that Ma had written him um, from Florida that says, hey, we got this lake house and your brother is hunting this alligator named Big Joe. And that's all that all that it said. So they, they came the FBI came down to Florida in January of nineteen thirty five and they found they looked for all the lakes in central Florida that had an alligator named Big Joe. So they, they talked to alligator trappers. And so they found two. One, the alligator had already been killed, so they went to this one at Lake Weir. The alligator trapper said, yeah, there's an alligator named Big Joe here. And so the FBI agents got into some boats and they were just kind of, you know, boating around and, and looking for any vacation homes where somebody like Fred and Ma would stay. Right. They ended up ascertaining that they were in this house. And so on the morning of January 16th, 1935, they were able to surround the house. A dozen agents surrounded the house. Uh, they yelled for Ma and Fred to come out and the oh. response was gunfire. Got you. Yeah. God. So they they had not been tipped off. And did any um, FBI agents die? No, okay. no, none of them died. Um, and uh, it's it's like I said, it's just a very fascinating story because of all the notes and everything that the FBI did take down um, and the, the, the pictures and the stories behind just the, the Barker Carpus gang itself and how ruthless it was and how, you know, J Edgar Hoover really um, was on their trail and, and just tracking them down to Oklahoma and Oklahoma is, is, is as small as it sounds. It's, it's literally a one stoplight town. And for, you know, several weeks in 1935, it was in the national spotlight. So that's kind of a, a cool history there. <laughs> when you were telling me about the letter of the um, brother hunting Big Joe the alligator, I like almost assumed it was code for something. Do you <laughs> no, know what I'm saying? Actually, like you would yeah. anticipate that your mail's getting read or whatever. And God, what? Oh, they deserve to get down. They deserve to be found if they're going to be like that. I'm sorry. To speak yeah, poorly. no, he was actually out. Uh, you know, the neighbors would hear him every now and then with a Tommy gun trying to shoot this alligator. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was a, it was a thing. He was trying to kill the alligator named Big Joe. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. Chris, thank you so much. And I'm so sorry that, um, again, I almost should have, I, I should have known. I got to get better. I, I try to give myself two to three hours and I just got caught more at like the two and a half hour mark this morning, but I should have done a better job researching you because, um, it could have easily been four hours, man. I so, so appreciate the time you've given me. Thank you so much for allowing all of us to uh, get to know you and explaining what you do and, um, sharing. It was so much fun. 
Absolutely. Well, I, I do appreciate all the support as well, Sean. So this has been a blast for me. And I just love the conversational aspect of it. You asked some questions that I have not been asked before. So it really made me think. So I, I very much appreciate this. I bet you say that to all the podcasts. I hosts. don't. No, I honestly kidding. don't. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I'll take it. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Happy huntings. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. You have a great day as well. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Chris for giving her time to share her stories and thoughts on paranormal experiences. I wish I had some better eerie music to drop and edit. Um, If you want to take a scientific exploration into paranormal spirits, just Google Soul Sisters Paranormal. They've got all types of shit out there, man. Videos, um, websites, follow them on Instagram. They they do come at it with a very, um, it's not kitschy. It's not gimmicky. It's like scientific. It's explorative. It's pretty neat. Check it out. Also, thank you to andrepsyche.com for sponsoring today's pod. Go to andrepsyche.com for some trippy merch that's worth checking out. And if you haven't already, please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's all one word, getting the number two, no, the letter U, pod. And speaking of words, the word of the pod is dryer sheets. Yes, dryer sheets. And I guess we really are going to have to change this to the phrase of the pod since I constantly use multiple words and lie about putting a hyphen in between them. Anyways, post that word on any of our social media sites, platforms, or tag the pod when you use the word of the pod, dryer sheets, in any of yours, and you will get a shout out on our next pod. Also, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to get to know you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business, and all you have to do to partner with us, shoot us a message. Good night. That was too much, right? One step too far. Bye.